Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The following is a presentation of the Four Center Podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. I'm Ken Absak. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And we are live from two decks of two to start starting players <laughs> in our fleet. This is Force Center episode 214. Joseph, how are you doing? I know this is weird times, so we have to ask that with a lot of sincerity, which I am now. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm doing good. It is it is a weird time, obviously, for the world. What with a global pandemic, you know, no point in uh, talking yeah. around it. 
global pandemic. Uh, super weird time because that's stressful by itself. And then it's just very weird for me because a lot of the stuff that I do, like recording podcasts, I'm still doing. I'm still on my normal, regular schedule. I got a couple writing projects uh, that I've been working on anyway. So there's a weirdness to me where, you know, I go online and people are like, you know, hey, what should we watch today? Well, does anybody want to do a video call? And I'm it, part of me is like, but I, I can't. I'm, I still got to do the stuff that I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's weird to say because a lot of it's going on. I've got a couple of email requests of, hey, you probably have some downtime. You want to pop on a show? And I'm like, I am more busy, which is a fortunate thing, fortunate thing to be experiencing right now. Why even my own mom and dad lost jobs uh, this past week. So wow. uh, I know what you mean. Uh, we are getting through it. And we are, we are, we should address, we are not recording in the same room. If you listen to Clone Wars report yesterday, we did a combination of Zencaster and GarageBand, and for a while we were considering FaceTime because I miss seeing your face, Joseph. But <laughs> um, we're making it work and we're making it work well. Uh, we we had to do this. We were going to follow. We follow in some of the guidelines and everything, but uh, LA exploded into a city of hikers over the weekend, <laughs> and the government said, city government said, okay, now you all have to really stay inside. <laughs> Yeah, what we meant by stay inside was actually stay inside. Yeah, I went for one walk in on in my neighborhood in uh, on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, and I was like, I, every uh, five feet, I had to go walk out into the street because there are too many, you know, people jogging. You know, the sweat flying <laughs> off them. <laughs> It's just the reality of times. And yeah, yeah, again, go out and get some fresh air and and uh, try to lower any stress, anxiety you're feeling, all those good things. But yeah, uh, you know, it was uh, one of those, you give an inch, the city took every hiking trail imaginable. But all that to say, we're just trying to address the realities of the situation. We're happy to be talking Star Wars together and sharing that with you all here, the Force Center fans. Uh, Joseph, outside of that, life adventures, Star Wars adventures, did you get a chance to put down some work for any kind of Star Wars battlefronting? Oh, I did a little bit of battlefronting. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, uh, I took out a few more people with the uh, Ewok bow, not on the auto version, the one where you have to, uh, you know, pull the string back and you can almost feel the tension of holding it in the release. It's so beautiful. Such beautiful murder. Actually, I was playing the Ewok right when so many of my friends on social media downloaded Animal Crossing which I have not played. And I felt like that's as close as I can get to being a part of Animal Crossing is killing people with a murder bear in Battlefront 2. So I enjoyed that very much. I am familiar with some of the older versions of uh, Animal Crossing and uh, I am uh, I am not going to collect any bells or whatever is needed on the game. I think I like your version of the Ewok being the true Animal Crossing. <laughs> Ewok is the Animal Crossing for sure. Uh, only other Star Wars adventure I uh, finally got around to, I picked it up a while ago, there is the uh, Cinefix magazine uh, that has been covering the uh, special effects and visual effects community in, in Hollywood for uh, 40 years just now. It's their 40th anniversary and it's uh, got some a couple different interviews but a ton of it is about Rise of Skywalker and about the Mandalorian I got a chance to read uh, most of the behind the scenes stuff for uh, Rise of Skywalker with the visual effects. It's got some really interesting stuff in it. A lot of it we learned in the documentary, but it's uh, different to really read about it from a total visual effects uh, perspective. And it's really kind of a tradition of being a Star Wars fan. I, I, I think going back, you, you, once you really kind of get over that crest of uh, are you a st are you a fan or are you a fan? You know, not not gatekeeping. I don't mean that, but just like once you roll down that hill and you're just in all of Star Wars, uh, we know 
those names, the Phil Tippetts, the, the, the uh, Joe Johnson's, the, the, the John Dykstra's, all those things. And so uh, to, to have it in magazine form, I know what you mean. That's, that's, that's old school Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all in and lots of interesting stuff. They talked, uh, which they didn't really cover a lot in the great documentary that we talked about, uh, The Skywalker Legacy. They talked a lot more about how they had a physical body double for Leia on set in that they uh, had molded a prosthetic to make sure that even though they were shooting her like for reference and from, from the back, uh, that her you know, facial structure matched and, and gave me even more appreciation for how hard everybody worked to n- ensure Leia's legacy and how difficult that had to be to, to, for all those actors to be on set with the double, you know, mm. uh, it, it was some great insights there. Yeah. Great insights indeed. Yeah. And that they, uh, I would imagine that, I mean, it made sense to, to me that they would do that, but they, again, pro- proving that they just, they didn't just throw this against the wall. They, 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 did everything they could to make it work and and uh, in general it did yeah yeah so how about you what, what were your adventures inside your home uh, uh you know uh I did play a little bit of, bit of battlefront 2 but i've been doing lego builds over on my twitch channel and you're all welcome to join me at <laughs> twitch.tv slash ken knapsack and I've been building little mini sets to get my rhythm. I haven't built a Lego set in maybe 15, 18 years. I think okay. the last one I did was the ATSD and the TIE Interceptor that were part of the, you know, post Phantom Menace era. That's when Star Wars and Lego kind of teamed up and you got those. And so uh, I had those built somewhere and they're in a, they're in a case that were probably displayed somewhere in my past. So I hadn't done it. I uh, want to do it. So I've been slowly doing it. So I uh, got some of the mini micro fighters. So this past weekend, I built uh, Zori Bliss's uh, Y-Wing with Zori minifig and an older one, Snap Wexley's X-Wing. It was the Battle of Exegol edition, uh, joy and sadness in one Lego build. But <laughs> I found build this something was, to be destroyed, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I found this and it's and it's on the uh, you can see it on the live stream. I wasn't playing it up. I opened up the Zori uh, Bliss package with no problems. I just bought that recently. The Snap one I've had since 2015 or so when they released it. And I had problems opening up the package. Like, and, and not not literal problems, <laughs> but like emotional problems. Yeah. And it's a leg. It's to be built, but I love just the packaging. I love the display. I love just looking in a box and going, yep, those are all the Lego sets I own. And it's a weird collector thing. And I had to like, all right, we're, we've committed to this. It was, it was oddly tough. Yeah, no, I understand. It's on my list of things to do that, uh, fun things in, in our, our isolation, uh, that I could go through and I have several action figures that I now have two copies of, and I still haven't opened them. And I need to have a little opening party, an emotional opening party. An emotional opening party. Indeed. Yeah, so that's kind of it. Other than just uh, keeping afloat, foraging for for uh, uh, food and supplies, uh, and uh, keeping our sanity over here. Yeah, uh, that was the highlight of my Star Wars week. The building Legos on Twitch. When you said working on Lego builds, I assumed a video game. So there was something delightful when I realized. No, you mean physically just building the Lego while while yeah. friends watch on the internet. Yeah, and it was great to hang out with some folks and and do the thing. And the next one up, I think we're going to do the uh, Obi-Wan Hut Lego set. Ooh. Uh, that fan of the show, First Rate Nate, sent over to me. And it has got that little Leia hologram and Luke. Oh, and 
Raider too, and a Tuscan Raider. No three PO minifig, but a Tuscan Raider. <laughs> well, he's powered down, so he's powered down. <laughs> uh, we are about to get into the news, but before we do, I want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a thirty day free trial at audibletrial.com slash four center. Over one hundred eighty thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP three player. We joke, but hey, uh, you know, healthy distractions are key during this time, and a good book in your hands or a good book in your ears is key. So head over to audibletrial.com slash four center. A little bit later, we'll have our four center recommends an audiobook We think you should try out on us. Joseph, without further ado, I think it's time to get in to the news. Yeah, actually, may I have one more ado? Oh, please, ado away. I, I want to take advantage of the fact that you and I are, are in physically separate spaces to ask a question uh, that could be odd, but I want to know what you're wearing. <laughs> This is a great question. Um, <laughs> I am in workout gear, workout shirt, workout pants. But here's the thing. I have do have uh, shoes on, tennis shoes on, workout shoes. I didn't. I fully intended to record in slippers. But <laughs> last minute, uh, there was something I was waiting for at the uh, post office box I have. And I got a notification that it came. So I, I rushed out to get it. And it wasn't what I was expecting. But life teaches you lessons. Sometimes you get what you need. Uh, listener of the show and host of the Galactic podcast, the Star Wars podcast uh, of Rome, Lauren Romo had sent me a baseball cap, a Detroit Tigers. I'm a Yankee fan, but she sent me a Detroit Tigers uh, cap to represent her uh, region uh, there. And um, that was nice. But so that forced me to put shoes on. Otherwise, I'd be talking to you in slippers. Okay. So, so uh, exercise, uh, does that mean sweatpants? Uh, no, like little, uh, the, Almost like a, a rain slicker material workout pant type thing. Okay. You know? Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. I was going to be doing some uh, cardio. Uh, to, yeah. Doing some cardio to Star Wars Resistance. Oh, I have been, I finally been digging into Star Wars Resistance. Um, catch up, watched a couple episodes I'd already seen to kind of refresh myself. So that, that's also on my list too. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you wear? Yeah. So I, I, uh, I did an episode of my podcast obsessed with my wife, uh, Sarah and talked about my push pull with these kind of, you record with people. I normally kind of like to get all dressed to feel like, well, I'm not out in the world, but I am being an extrovert now I'm engaging, but I've slipped yeah. into being uh, an extrovert on top. So, you know, I got a, a nice shirt, a nice sweater, uh, but introvert on the bottom. I got, uh, the slippers on like Peter Cushing and I uh, got my captain phasma pajama pants on as we record. <laughs> That is, uh, that is great. I think, uh, <laughs> I think that is, uh, we need a, a, a poster of that, uh, Tarkin slippers, phasma pajamas. Great. <laughs> you get to go exercise and, uh, I'll take a nap. That's what we're dressed for. Yeah. Um, I might do that too. Uh, we are uh, going to look at the news here and I got to tell you, we've been doing this game of, is it a low, uh, you know, lack of news week? Is it a big news week? I'd say this is Kind of a big news week, yeah. some work that I've been to here. The first one up here, we're going to dive right into it. A lot of people wanted us to uh, do a Force Center reacts or, uh, you know, I don't tweet about this stuff anymore. I wait to talk about it here in Force Center just so I can gather all my thoughts. But the, the headline reads, Ahsoka Tano in Mandalorian Season 2. And this is coming from uh, Deadline, kind of put it out there first. Um I think they're the one claiming exclusive, you know, you got to play those games, but uh, this is interesting here, Joseph, some highlights, highlights included. We can dive right in here. This still technically is unconfirmed. 
Uh, but all signs point to it being true. Deadline is a pretty legitimate news source. So if they're going to run with it, there's got to be some truth to it, I would think. Uh, Rosario uh, Dawson, she has ex- uh, previously expressed interest in the role. We know that. There's clips you can find on on the internet, on talk shows, her being asked. Even our own uh, Ash Crossan, friend of the show, had asked her about playing Asanka. And this kind of, you know, we'll, t- we'll dive in this a little bit. I, I it, it, To me, it's similar of uh, Donald Glover being cast as Lando. It just got, so kind of seemed like, yeah, didn't that happen? Because we all wanted <laughs> Uh, this is, uh, 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 actually let's, let's, let's go into this point here. Uh, first Joseph there, this, what do you think about this story overall right now and how it is technically unconfirmed? Where do you, where do you fall on it right now? It seems like a lot of sources have confirmed that yes, Rosario Dawson shot something. And given that this isn't a, Ooh, they're talking about being a director in the future kind of thing, but Mandalorian too is, is, is done filming, right? That's what the reports are. So yeah. I feel like the report that Rosario Dawson is in this has been confirmed a couple places and seems pretty solid. And then the part of it that is still a, a rumor that is not entirely, totally 100% confirmed seems to be, is she or is she not Ahsoka? Uh, it seems like there's enough of reporting and generally just kind of the quality of it that it seems likely. But again, I, I think, yes, it's a rumor until it's confirmed. Let's so confirm until we see it there. And in regards to Donald Glover as Lando and her, I wouldn't say, I mean, sometimes I would say maybe she did openly campaign for it in the sense of I'd like to do it, but there was no place to do it yet. You know, the Disney plus was, you know, though being already planned and thought of wasn't out and about in the public. So a lot of the time she was talking about this, it might've been thought of to be in a movie. Um, the idea of an Ahsoka movie is great, but the, you know, I think I, I for sure have had conversations on shows and off air of like, eh, it's kind of tough. You know, you have to really find a way t- for the general Star Wars public to fall in love with this character, and you totally could. So I don't know. Um, uh, regards to fans, us, maybe getting it right or help helping to make it happen. Uh, does this does this seem right to you that this is what happened here? Is it similar to Donald Glover's Lando? I feel like it is similar to Donald Glover's Lando from that fan perspective of fans going, oh, oh, wow, this is this legacy character matches this popular, well-known actor. I think it is absolutely uh, similar in that regard. And I think that's great. I mean, I think we have a relationship with actors and we get excited about them and we have a relationship with, you know, legacy characters and we get excited about that. So I think that's all great to have fan excitement. The only thing that ever worries me about it is making sure that new faces emerge, right? Especially right. when you're talking Star Wars. And that was kind of the thing with the original Star Wars. Not that uh, they were completely unknown, but it wasn't like Lucas was casting big name stars. They were right. relatively unknown. Yeah, e- even Harrison was still relatively unknown. You know, you know American Graffiti wasn't enough to uh, put him into every living room uh, in, <laughs> in the nation there. Um, so, yeah, I do like that there. And and this, we got to discuss, you know, this this is not unilaterally being celebrated. Uh, there is some pushback. There's some problems. Um, uh, we'll just kind of go in general. Uh, you know, there could be different sides to this and everything like that. I get there's always ugliness in the fandom. I, I've seen some bad things about this. But just in general, there is a a rush to be like, well, wait a minute. All right. We do like her. We do like her as Ahsoka. We do like Ahsoka in live action, but what about Ashley Eckstein? And I've I've seen a lot of Ashley Eckstein fans just a bit bummed having maybe an issue wrapping their head around this. 
so how do we feel about this situation if Rosario does play her 100%? I know a lot of people have said, well, couldn't they do Ashley doing the vo- voice and uh, Rosario doing the character, a Ray Park, uh, Sam Witwer thing? And we've even talked about that. And that's definitely intriguing. I don't think a performer of, of Rosario Dawson's uh, caliber and resume would uh, do that. But I, I'm not we're not sure because we just don't know. So uh, let's dive into the big issue around Ashley Eckstein, Ahsoka Tano, and what the fans feel about this, Joseph. Yeah, I think for me, this is one of those things where I just am going to let myself have mixed feelings. A crazy thing to do (laughs) when talking about pop culture, right? Um, And I think it is a a thing where, yeah, if you're you're really trying to make a splash, this is the uh, hot take uh, world of, of pop culture to say, I love it, or, oh, I can't stand it. And for me, I just have mixed feelings because... I love Ahsoka and I'm thrilled to see her in live action. I want her to be in live action. Uh, I really like Rosario Dawson. I like all the work that she has done previously, but this is such a unique Star Wars character where she has always been Ashley Eckstein. And Ashley Eckstein has not just been a, what, I'm an actor. I do a lot of things and I did a Star Wars. She has created so much of the community through uh, always being there, through writing books, through her universe. So there's the Ashley Eckstein And then uh, right now there is a lawsuit against Rosario Dawson. And I'm not making any judgments. I'm just aware that for some people it is uh, a big sticking point of celebrating her and celebrating this casting. So it's a lawsuit from one person alleging uh, verbal and physical assault. Um, It's a pending lawsuit. Uh, I think sometimes if for me, uh, if it's a lawsuit, you just let it play out. I think there are times where if uh, the court of law is the court of law. For me, there are times where if, hey, 18 to 20 people are saying the exact same thing, then I allow myself to, to form my own opinion in the, in the court of public opinion. For me, this is one person, one lawsuit. So you just kind of got to wait and see how it goes. But so I'm not making any judgment on that. But it does just complicate my feelings knowing mm-hmm. that this is out there and unresolved and, and you think of someone like Ahsoka who is such a hero and, and so loved for that. And, and I just want to be able to enjoy that purely and not worry about uh, a battle as to whether or not Rosario Dawson has done on heroic things in her real life. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, a uh, lot of it, uh, I don't want to say being, being used as it's like being dug up and information and now it's being brought to light. Yeah. It is out there. It exists and everything. So I can understand why it's entering the conversation, but yeah, yeah. That's definitely popping up in a lot of uh, the pushback against it there. Um, I guess as best we can, we can keep it to uh, the, the, the surface level stuff. Yeah. The stuff yeah. that we know for sure. Right. The stuff that we know for sure. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I think your point is well made about Ashley Eckstein helping to form the character that has only existed in animated form or, or the written word. But even then, even the uh, E.K. Johnston book, Ahsoka is, uh, uh, or Ashley Eckstein. See, even I messed up. I just refer to her as Ahsoka. <laughs> Ashley Eckstein does the audio book. Uh, that's how great she is. She launches her universe um, and helps cultivate uh, parts of the fandom and is, is very, very front and center on in Star Wars conventions and all this kind of thing. So, I think it's a good point to to put out that that even more than I 
maybe recognize in myself because I, I, I will say, hey, look, no one would expect James Earl Taylor to be Obi-Wan. No one would expect Matt Lanter to play live action Anakin. Uh, but those characters have existed in many different forms. So I understand with what just you're saying, she doesn't just voice this character. She's built this character. She made the character with Dave Filoni and George Lucas uh, creating this character. She has just as much to do with that with anything. So I very much understand the disappointment or understand mixed feelings. Uh, and I, I probably have them too, more than even I care to admit. I just think there was reality. I never thought for a second she'd get the chance to do it. Yeah. Uh, just never thought for a second. It's just not how it works. Um, uh, so mixed feeling. I think it's funny. I think mixed, I, I think mixed feelings is a good, good thing to have. A good, okay. Okay. Thing to have. I should say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for yourself, setting aside the Ashley Eckstein question of it, are you just, are you, if, so let's say Ashley Eckstein made a statement and said, Hey, I get it. This is great. I'm 100% behind it. Would you be really excited about uh, Ahsoka in live action? Are, are you just excited about that part of it? I am excited about Ahsoka in live action. I'm excited for what it could mean. And uh, if Ashley eventually comes around and, and kind of uh, does that, and, and she may have dressed some of it. I, I'll be, I'll be honest, the kind of crazy weekend. I didn't see everything from her. I know some stuff seemed to get posted. I don't know if you'd seen it. Did you see it at all? From Ashley, uh, Ashley Eckstein reaction. Yeah, was there some? There might have been something posted. I gotta admit, I did not dig into it. I uh, saw. But I don't think. Dis- yeah, mm-hmm. I saw in an in interview discussion about whether or not there's going to be uh, a any continuing adventure of Ahsoka and Sabine uh, looking for Ezra. And I think I saw yeah. a quote from her talking about like I mentioned that today. Wouldn't that be great? But I don't think I saw a reaction to uh, this casting rumor. Okay, great. Yeah, and I, I think you definitely think you're right about that there. So yeah, if she comes out and says says that, which I would would expect her to do wholeheartedly, and not just do it from a PR opponent point of view. It is uh, is exactly what it is. Uh, I'm, I'm friends with Roger Craig Smith, who does the voice of Sonic. And when the movie was in development and got announced, a lot of people, all the fans, were like, "Oh, cool, you're going to do it." And he was like, "I'm, I'm not even going to touch it. They, they won't even call me in. It will never happen. It's just the way it works." And he has done his best to kind of. Uh, support the project from afar. So I would expect nothing less from, 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 from Ashley, the voiceover community is full of really great people, by the way. Um, yes. So, yeah. So yeah, it, it, again, but again, doesn't, doesn't take away anyone's mixed feelings or anyone's negative feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There are a lot of feelings to be had, including just Absolutely. joy for a uh, uh, more Ahsoka. Here's a, yeah. here's a question for you. How would yeah. you feel if, Ahsoka Tano does appear in the Mandalorian played by Rosario Dawson, but for some reason does not speak. I would be okay with that. I would be okay with that. It'd be, I don't even know if it'd be weird. Actually, I don't know if it would be weird. We've seen enough of Mandalorian that you can just be like, <laughs> there you go. Bum, bum, dun, dun, nah, nah. Yeah. No, I think it would work. I think it would work. And, and again, I, I think none, no one's expecting her to have a, Big giant. I, I don't even think big giant scene. Maybe she'll have one scene, one moment, the way it's being set up. But this leads to some of the other rumors we've been talking about here, Joseph, that a lot of people uh, saying, hey, this appearance in Mando uh, season two. Um, and we're going to do our best, by the way, to not spoil Mando one. We've, uh, you know, a lot of people are just now getting to it, actually, in other countries. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, but this could lead to a spin off series. And I'm intrigued by that. I have some thoughts about that. Uh, you have thoughts of the characters I like to see in that, but where are you at with that idea? 
Uh, I would love to see an Ahsoka spinoff without getting spoilery about uh, Mando 1. I do think there's a real logical reason for her to appear in uh, Mando Season 2, so I'm excited about that. like the idea of a a spinoff series, and I think since it seems like the two things in Star Wars that uh, Dave Filoni wants is to tell Ahsoka stories and to do live action, it would not surprise me if that was a direction. I I think my only kind of, uh, but what about canon kind of question is, (laughs) I want to know, you know, how it fits in. Is it, this is five years after uh, Return of the Jedi. So do do we have a story with uh, Ahsoka Sabine, Search for Ezra, uh, Rebels continuation, and then this is a different uh, Ahsoka adventure? Or how does that all fit in and and work together? I think that's, uh, that's the thing that would change my level of excitement of, of how does that all fit together? Yeah, the idea of that story, uh, if it's, if it, I get it to, to go, hey, we're going to do a live action Ahsoka. Oh my gosh. And then, oh, we're also going to throw in a live action Sabine and Ezra. And hell, a live action Thrawn. We're going to give that whole series live action. <laughs> it would be awesome, but it would be a left turn that I just don't see them making. I think that that story, if it's told, will be an animation. And you're right. Now you're doing the math. All right. So at the end of the war, she comes going to go search five years in. So she, she found Ezra. She says, Sabine, take it from here. I got to go back. You know, all those questions, which are, by the way, I, th- I to me, those are, f- and I know for you, you, Joseph, it's the same. Those are fun questions to have as, as fans. Yeah, absolutely. There are a ton of fun questions. And I think you do run into the fun question, too, of uh, does Ahsoka not seek out Luke Skywalker and Leia Organa? Right. Yes. And that is, again, a fun question, but uh, a big question that I have. I do sometimes get get stuck on that, on the, oh, she better not see Luke. Oh, she better not see Luke. And, you know, again, I'm sure they would handle it with care. Yeah. If one doesn't doesn't uh, mess around when it comes to that stuff, he realizes what it is. So uh, it'll be interesting. But yeah, I, I do see, I do see a live action spinoff series uh, possible with uh, you know uh, one of the characters from season one, um, another character that I would love to just see in live action as well. I put them all together, and I think I think it would work. I think it would work. But we'll yeah. see. We yeah, you shall. said you had other canon characters. Are there are there who, who else do you want to see traveling around or is it Mando spoiler? It is, it is, it's not a spoiler. It's a, it's a, just a good old, uh, big old hearty guess um, that I, I really do believe. Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah, it is. It's a spoiler. I, I believe, I believe we'll see another clone wars character in Mando season two, based off what I saw in Mando season one. And I think that would all tie in very well to the character of Ahsoka Tano. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what I think. But you know what? Who We don't know what we think. We'll find out when we find out. That's the part of fun of Star Wars news. Uh, this next, uh, I I, uh, I almost think we could do uh, too long on this <laughs> next topic. Um, but Greg Grunberg talks episode nine, and he sat down with a Hollywood reporter, and he talked about the connections to episode eight and more. A lot more. JJ's best buddy talked all things the rise of Skywalker. It's a really good interview and conducted really recently. Uh, for Heat Vision, and they talked about, hey, you know, thanks for getting on the phone with us during these uh, tough, co- uh, confusing, scary times, and Greg was happy to do it. He talked about um, a lot of things, like I said. Uh, here's some of the highlights. Uh, he did address the director cuts. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, there isn't one. 
<laughs> said he never saw uh, or heard uh, pressure from Kathy Kennedy, the studio, or Disney to make changes. Again, he's known J.J. Abrams since he was five. Do I think Greg Grunberg in a phone call with the Hollywood Reporter would be like, oh, God, yeah, Kathy was over J.J.'s shoulder every day? No, I don't think so. But I also – I just don't think he'd be – I'm taking it. I don't, I don't think he'd be this just direct and forthcoming if, if, if he was hiding something again, that might be just me trying to uh, look under the, the rug and, and f- fuel my agenda. But I don't, I, what do you think, Joe? Where do you start? Cause that that's, I totally get that kind of toss back. Like Greg Grunberg would not say JJ hates Ryan Johnson. He wouldn't say it in this interview. So how do you take anything he's saying? What, what levels of grains of salt are you taking it? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I, I think uh, you do a great job containing your under-the-rug agenda. I don't think you push that on anybody, so congrats on that, my friend. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, the way that Greg Grunberg strikes me is that he would find ways to say things politically if they were true. I feel like he's honest in this interview about how he was bummed about not being cast in episode eight is uh, Snap Waxley and that uh, the other pilots weren't coming back. And I think the fact that he gets into, I went so far as to call my kindergarten buddy, JJ, and said, I know you're not even doing this movie, but could you pass a note to Kathleen Kennedy and make sure that Ryan didn't cast me? That's a level of honesty in this interview where I feel like if there was, like those Reddit rumors had everybody going, Mm -hmm. if it really was that, there was a much longer cut of Rise of Skywalker and Disney came in and forced J.J. to cut this, I think Greg Grunberg would hint at that. Mm, yeah. No, I think you said you you said better um, what I was trying to get across. It's like he is pretty forthcoming. He's talking pretty honestly about the Episode 8 stuff uh, that I, I think he'd find a way to say it. I think he would. I think he would. Um, yeah. And he was very bummed, uh, quite frankly, that he and Jessica Henwick and yeah, what he calls the episode seven pilots, uh, that they were not cast in episode eight. And he talked about how as a star Wars fan, you just love those background pilots. Uh, we all love our wedge Antilles, our, our Dax and all those kind of things. So, um, I, I understand cause I had that question too. I think it's been answered pretty wonderfully in canon of what uh, they were doing, what the Black Squadron was doing. Uh, so I can accept that now. But even then, and, and Ryan's someone that gets that too. I, I think he, I always interpreted uh, interpreted Ryan just going, yeah, I, I do like the pilots. I do like the small characters. I'm going to introduce a bunch of mine. And there's a story reason why the other ones weren't there. Um, so, yeah. Should Ryan have included Snap Wexley is the question, Joseph. I think that uh, this is a strange point of uh, Snap Wexley and the Knights of Ren being similar because putting myself in Ryan Johnson's shoes, all of almost all of the cool pilots that Ryan Johnson introduces is so they can die. Uh, and, uh, he, you know, yeah. Ryan Johnson said the same thing of like, well, I thought about putting the Knights of Ren in as Snoke's guards, but I knew I just wanted to slaughter them. Uh, so I think it makes sense that he's like, well, maybe there's more story to tell, uh, with snap and the gang. Uh, and I don't want to have them in, uh, just to obliterate them. Uh, and I can invent my own, uh, pilots like Tally Lintra, the REP or RIP, uh, rest in peace, Tally Lintra, uh, for, for that purpose. So, uh, there's a part of me that does want that snap continuity, (laughs) but I also understand. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Going back to even like the, the, 
that should have been Lando conversation we've we've had. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad Ryan didn't put him in the movie. Now we got something much better. And I was like, yeah, you could have maybe put Maz uh, exchanged Maz for Lando in Episode Eight. But even then, I'm I'm glad where we got it. The story the stories can be told else elsewhere and in other ways. And Lando just winking in the canto by you know cantino or, or casino wouldn't have worked for me. So I agree with your take on that. There, uh, he's also honest about. Even with his buddy JJ, uh, Greg fought against Snap dying in uh, <laughs> a couple different processes. First, it was like early on, and then it wasn't, and then uh, then the writing came back. Yep, we're gonna kill you. But he also talked about how in episode seven, when they were in the uh, cockpits just shooting scenes, they did want Snap to say some lines, and probably all the pilots of saying some lines of "you dying" just in case we want to kill you. And he didn't want to do it. And he refused. And JJ was like, all right, if he doesn't want to say it, he doesn't want to say it. I guess the benefits of knowing JJ. So uh, now that we did get his death and we know it's there, uh, uh, how do you feel focusing on it? How do you feel about the death of Snap? Yeah. Uh, well, I love the way that Greg Grunberg told this story. I love the detail that when everybody was having fun filming the big party on Agent Kloss after the victory, that JJ had to be like, Greg, you can't, you can't go to the party because you're dead. <laughs> like pulling him out. That really made me feel like, oh yeah, that feels like junior high rejection in my heart. You, you can't go to this party, dude. Uh, you're not. Yeah. Oh. So I thought, I thought that was a, a great way to tell the story, but in terms of his death, man, I mean, I, I really like the character of snap is he got it uh, created in the expanded uh, in the books um yeah. the canon of all of the the comics and the books that's great but i thought his death was great i thought we really needed something like that we needed to have some characters that we knew uh not make it through because it was this story of this is the the last chance we're going to risk it all and some of us aren't going to make it and it it does so much for poe's character even if you're a casual fan and you're not super clear on, oh yeah, that's the guy who built Mr. Bones, um, you you can feel that connection between Poe and Snap, and I think his death really pushes Poe into that last minute of I'm I'm trying to hold on to hope, but I'm watching my old good friends die right and left. Yeah, I like uh, I like everything you're saying there. I think it is is you do need to show that cost, the cost of victory, those type of things that uh, you know, uh, you know why, why Lawrence and Lawrence and Harrison wanted maybe Han Solo to to go and return the Jedi. However, I'm glad that didn't happen. So thank you, George. Um, it it's funny in the movie. My reaction, especially the first couple of times I saw it, was more like, oh, not snap, but the the novel. Uh, Ray Carson, uh, it made me really feel it. She gets a chance to. Uh, you know, uh, have him say the name of his wife, Kari. It's more yeah. of a, more personal, so it works for me there. And now I can carry that into the movie. It, it, you know, Snap, you're right. He just he just really, there's so much to a story outside the movies, and that's just the way it is in Star Wars. That's part of the fun of Star Wars. You know, you always cite the example of Dengar. We know so much about Dengar that we shouldn't. So uh, I'm glad <laughs> that's so uh, uh, this is uh, the big thing he said, though, here. Uh, I told you we could talk a long time about this here. He was upset by two things, well, probably a lot of things, but two things specifically in the post-release criticisms of The Rise of Skywalker. First one was that he this idea that J.J. was pandering. Uh, he did not like that idea that J.J. was um, pandering to fans 
Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically saying, yeah, no, JJ was trying to make fans happy. That's what you should, but he wasn't uh, pandering in a negative way. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Greg Grunberg's take on JJ and pandering accusations. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to to see uh, JJ's childhood friend and, and an old school uh, Star Wars nerd be angry about that. To me, I think it's just down to, yeah, there's a big difference between the words pleasing and, and pandering, you know? Pandering suggests that, uh, I, I don't know, you, you nerds like this, I'll just uh, throw it up on the screen and you'll be happy, right? And that's really different than J.J. Abrams going, I'm a fan, I've been a fan since childhood, what do I think feels right and, and what are exciting things that fans have always wanted to see but maybe haven't seen or and what are themes mm-hmm. that mean a lot to fans that will that will make them feel the emotional connection from Rise of Skywalker to A New Hope to The Phantom Menace and asking those questions about pleasing to me is really different than the negative connotation about like I, I don't know you get you guys like lightsabers here's mm-hmm. one yep Totally agree. And I think it's just sometimes unfair because Ryan faced some of this too, or even in Rogue One or Solo. I just think some of it's unfair to uh, celebrate a troop carrier from Kenner in Mandalorian, which was in Rebels, as we all know as well, and be like, yay, versus, you know, uh, oh, JJ put in uh, this. Uh, how dare he? He's just playing to the lowest common denominator. I know there's bigger questions and uh, thoughts behind some of those accusations, but I just sometimes think it's unfair. And I think Jade, uh, Greg had that kind of same frustrations. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I also think yeah. that JJ Abrams is just uh, smart enough and insightful to, enough to know that even if someone went into episode nine going, my goal is to pander to the fans. It is literally impossible. You couldn't do it if you want to, because fans wanted so many different things and care about so many different parts of star Wars. So that's a weird thing to me about the pandering conversation is anybody who's paying attention to the community knows, uh, large scale, successful pandering is impossible. <laughs> large scale, successful pandering. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's something we need to dive into more. Uh, he then went into, it's kind of two things, but it's under one banner here. He went into the, uh, the idea of JJ versus Ryan Johnson. And he just did not see that at all. Did not says absolutely not. And he brought it into, uh, it's so, it's so familiar. It's like Greg's been hanging out with us here at Force Center. He says, uh, he thinks episode nine connects with episode, episode eight. And he says, it's one of those things where if you pay attention to the film and engage with it, all it does is keep that story going. This is the one that gets me upset. You're the one who's introduced this uh, wonderful phrase into the, the Force Center um, lexicon here of the engage with the story presented to you. So Greg must be hanging out with you, Joseph. <laughs> I wish. He seems like lots of fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it was really nice to hear uh, the perspective of someone who is not only a, a friend of J.J. Abrams, but um, as he himself says in this interview of like, Hey, I'm kind of bummed that Ryan didn't include me in episode eight. So, uh, I, I would have a reason to mm. <laughs> grind an ax to, to, to carry a grudge, but I don't, he made a beautiful film. And I think the film that JJ made matches up with Ryan's beautiful film. And it, it feels like a honest perspective from somebody, uh, uh, Greg Grunberg, who is in the movie is a lifelong fan mm. and has an inside perspective to his lifelong best friend. 
Yeah, and it's just all about staying luminous, choosing the light side, because it does get me downright grumpy sometimes. Where I'm just like, I, I, if that's your knee-jerk reaction, that the movies don't connect, fine. But when you just, you, you don't need a shovel. You just need like a little tiny, uh, you know, a, a, a garden tool. <laughs> a little tiny. <laughs> uh, uh, a a little trowel? Tiny trowel is that what it's yeah i don't i don't garden much anymore um <laughs> that's all you need you don't need a you don't need to dig super deep it's right there in some of the most simplest ways that these two connect and we talked about we talked about it a lot in in novelization with some of the revelations of of palpatine and the clones and all that kind of stuff um it's there it's part of the contingency plan you put that tracing paper down on each line each uh, page connects and I, I i really love to hear greg say that from someone who's on the inside yeah and i also think just in terms of you know uh y- even if you see the films and you feel like oh i feel like ryan was going in this direction and jj was going in this direction um and that's your reading of the films i think of be- having a reminder from somebody on the inside like greg grunberg is like there is an animosity here. This is a connection to Last Jedi and an evolution. And all stories evolve and change. Every trilogy in Star Wars grew and changed. And I think if you're looking to feel better about it, you know, I, I think it is good to let go of the idea that there's some great animosity between these two directors. And it's just as the story that connects and evolves. Absolutely connects and involves, uh, evolves. That's what Star Wars fans should do sometimes as well. Um, final story uh, here today. I just wrote down in my notes, Robert Rodriguez, and I forgot to finish the sentence, but <laughs> <laughs> Robert Rodriguez. So this comes from uh, Slash Film and then uh, a, a, what is it, HV Entertainment. Uh, you know, you got to click all the links to HN Entertainment. They kind of ran with it. So uh, here, here's the story here. We didn't really address it on the show before, but our, our friends, Alex and Steve, very casually, if you want, very casually mentioned in one of their final Star Wars only shows, they've transitioned their show to just more general discussion, pop culture stuff. But, uh, on BSR, they, they, they just kind of said, uh, they maybe heard some things that Robert Rodriguez and James Mangold were working on Mando too. James Mangold just, uh, that got picked up and run with, and James Mangold, uh, absolutely tore into the idea of that. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Fair enough. Uh, but here we go. Robert Rodriguez has been confirmed to be a uh, director for at least one episode in season two of Mandalorian. Other confirmed directors, by the way, are John Favre, Dave Filoni, Carl Weathers, and now Rodriguez. I don't know if the list is any larger than that. Bryce Dallas Howard might be coming back. I hope she's coming back. Uh, Deborah Chow might be, of course, busy and maybe some other names that we don't know right now. But, uh, yeah, we always talk about the rumors and all this kind of thing. So that 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 notwithstanding, uh, this being uh, true is interesting because uh, from Desperado to Spike Hits to Sin City to Alita Battle Angel, uh, one of the things I think uh, Robert Ruggers brings a lot of different things to the table, including technology and his use of it. Sin City, Alita Battle Angel, um, just different approaches to storytelling that Mandalorian in season one, without, again, any details – the way they shoot, how they shoot. I can see it totally linking up. And then Desperado, uh, his uh, original version, which I had, had to study and loved to study in, in film school in the, in the uh, mid-90s because it was all the rage, and then he got to kind of redo it again. Um, it is right up the alley uh, with what Mandalorian is, <laughs> down to some scenes, I think. Oh, so, really? Just uh, uh, Yeah, I've never seen Desperado, so just kind of uh, mood-wise and setting. 
Mood-wise setting, small town, bad people, uh, complicated hero walking into a room and coming out with everyone else dead. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those kind of things. <laughs> it, is, it almost looks like an episode of uh, Mandalorian with, without the fancy tech stuff. So, Joseph, that's the big picture on this. Uh, let's dive on in here. What do you think about Robert Rodriguez, the director of Spy Kids? Now in Star Wars. <laughs> that is the big takeaway. I'm not is, is uh, super aware of all of his work. Uh, big comic book fan growing up. Uh, so I collected all the uh, Sin City and I was there on the first day for Sin City. And that I think is uh, one of the things that I gravitate towards is when I think of Robert Rodriguez, I think of him doing really interesting cinematic language action. And I think that's the thing that makes me excited for his work on Mandalorian as I hope that he gets some really big, interesting fight scenes that he can play with uh, and, and do some like really uh, cinematically beautiful technology related violence. Yeah. Ooh, technology related violence. <laughs> and and oddly enough, I, I should point out uh, for the first Spy, Kid, Spy Kids, I actually saw it in theaters. You did. Why? I can't remember why. I think a friend and a friend of mine, I think a roommate or something, we went. I can't remember because this is pre-podcast, YouTube chat shows. You know, I didn't have to go. And then somehow we went. I can't remember why, but I, I, I saw it in theater. So that's not even a disparaging remark on the movie. It actually was entertaining. Yeah, I know. Uh, I've, I've heard people love Spy Kids. I have never seen it myself, but maybe I'll make the time. And, and my final note on, on Robert Rodriguez, being it's just, just someone who, again, is of that... Um, He's of that generation, a little bit uh, older than both you and I, but not but not by much. But he's of that generation that uh, Favreau is in and uh, makes sense that he would now then be like, I can play with my Star Wars toys as well on screen. Let's do it. I expect more of that. Yeah. All right. That is a look at the news. Like I said. Only three headlines, but a lot to talk about. We are almost out of here uh, into our uh, second half of our show. We're going to be looking at uh, the rise of Kylo Ren comic series. But before we do, we want to do our Four Center Recommends, an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Joseph, what do we have? Uh, this week, we are once again recommending The Rise of Skywalker, novelization by Ray Carson. I've heard uh, online that some people maybe had their copies delayed or haven't had a chance to check it out. And I've heard great things, great things about the audio performance. Uh, so I think people should give this a listen uh, for free uh, on Audible and then listen to our review. Absolutely. Please go and listen to the review and to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash force center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center for your free audiobook. We are going to take a quick break, but on the other side, we are going to go inside the rise of Kylo Ren. Stick around. All righty then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Excellent. Do you want to do uh, stop and do separate files since it's long? Yeah, I, I think we will. Here, so let me stop this here, download them, and then I'll send you a link to the. Welcome back to Force Center, the big show, the main show, the superstar destroyer of our fleet. One day, we'll find out what ships are in our fleet, uh, all told. It's a ragtag fleet, I'm sure, with one big superstar destroyer in it. Uh, so, Joseph, this is uh, really excited about this conversation because forcing myself, and I say forcing, forcing myself, though, in a nice way to really focus on these comics when sometimes I have a problem of whipping through comics real quick and missing things. I really felt I was able to get more out of this comic series, and I'm glad we're talking about it. You are going to talk with us. Well, you're going to lead us through the conversation about the rise of Kylo Ren. 
Yeah, that's right. I'm really excited. Uh, it, it was a temptation to talk about each individual issue as it was released, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that we waited until uh, all four have been out so we can talk about the whole big picture because it does all loop back together, the beginning to the end, like a nice little uh, evil Sith circle, <laughs> a sympathetic <laughs> Sith circle, maybe. Uh, this is a four-issue comic series uh, by written by Charles Sewell, a uh, well-respected Star Wars author at this, po- uh, at this point, and art by Will Sliney, uh, I believe is the pronunciation, but I could be incorrect. Very successful. It seemed like there were a lot of uh, sellouts and that they were hard to find and that kind of thing. So let's just start with that. Let's just start with the journey of physically reading this comic book. I know you normally get physical comics. Did you did you physically read The Rise of Kylo Ren? I physically did. You can hear my, that's my pages slapping together right there. Um, so yeah, uh, I have one, two, and three. However, issue four uh, because of uh, circumstances in the world, I was not able to go to the shop or did not go even when I could. So that one I read digitally. So it was a, it was a tale of both worlds. And I oh, usually nice. uh, through Amazon for send it directly to my Kindle. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, so, yeah, I've had uh, the Comixology for a while, and I usually uh, try to wait until things are out so I can just buy them in one volume and read it all at once. This is the first time I subscribed to something, so I would get the email of, like, Rise of Kylo Ren is in your mailbox, or, you know, your whatever mm-hmm. box it is. Uh, it shows up on my iPad. Technology. Uh, so I read them all really quickly, and I admit, when I read each individual issue, like, the second it came out, a part of it was out of just hunger to not be spoiled. Oh, yeah. And I enjoyed each issue, reading them kind of hungrily to just be like, what are the Star Wars headlines that I get? Because I want to hear them for myself first. So it was really great for this episode to sit down and read them all is one flowing story. And, And I think you were saying the same, the depth and the connections and the big Star Wars juicy ideas really came through when I sat down and calmly read them as a whole arc. Yeah, there is a reality, and I mentioned it, but there's a reality for me and I think other people where I, I love comics. I, I, I have a ton of comics on my pull list. I have a big collection. I, I donate a lot of them every year. Our friend Jason Inman usually does his uh, comics for soldiers drives. And, and I do that out of the, you know, out of my heart's desires, but also like, yeah, I, I run out of space. So you yeah, might as well do something good with these comics. So I have a tendency to read an issue, whip through it. Second issue comes out next month and I forgotten the first issue. And that, uh, that happened with this one, but being able to sit down with all four and just whip through them in a good way now together as one, it really, uh, the, the story really worked for me because of that. Yeah, yeah. So before we dive into the actual story and the big themes, I also just wanted to ask about kind of the uh, the Star Wars storytelling landscape. Do you think a four-issue comic book series was the best place and way to tell this story? And then you combine that, that I believe the first issue came out before Rise of Skywalker, uh, but then the rest were kind of after with, uh, and, and definitely uh, did rely a little bit on that knowledge. How do you feel about this story being told in in this uh, medium? I, look, I, tell you, I don't know if it was the best place and way to tell the story, uh, but I don't fault them for trying because it turned out really, really good. And so that shows, hey, trust them to tell the story uh, how they want. I... I think a novel would have been my preferred method if I was choosing it. Again, I don't have that power um, because I think there was a lot of other 
not just needed detail, but details that I wanted. It would have been a fun journey, a real uh, dense journey through a nice novel like uh, some of the recent ones with, you know, the Dooku radio play or, or Master and Apprentice. I think I wanted that. Um, but the fact that they had some great visuals and you could see this story, and I think that was important. And there's some little tiny things I know we're going to bring up. Uh, I saw <laughs> uh, one of the things where I'm like, oh, God, yeah, I'm glad I saw that. So uh, Charles Soule always, uh, uh, clearly has a great track record with what he's been doing with uh, some of his writing with the comics. So I, I start with no, but I end with, you know what? They did it. They did a great job. So who am I to say no? Yeah. Yeah. I think I felt the same way of, I was like, why is this only a four issue comic series? Because it is so juicy. It, it touches on so much of the canon that I think fans have really, really been hungry for. But then once I actually read it, I think I did really respond to the fact that it is cinematic. So it really feels like it lines up with the sequel trilogy because you get to see it. And also just because of the style of writing that we don't go super deep into, um, you know, Kylo Ren's head in, mm-hmm. in terms of literally hearing what he's thinking the way we would in a prose novel. And so it does kind of line up when you have some of these like really intense illustrations of, of Ben Solo's face. And then you just have the, you know, insightful yet cryptic thing that he says, it lines up even more with Adam Driver's, the intensity of his performance where uh, a very few words in expression say so much. I, I love that point. Uh, there was some, there's some great art in here. Uh, Will Sliney doing that there, a great art where just the, the physicality of Kylo, which we now know uh, can confirm Adam Driver, very protective of, as this <laughs> doc revealed, it came through and I felt like a couple times I'm like, oh, this I am seeing art for the movie or art for a movie. And I mean that in the best way possible because it just like it did pop off the page. So, again, I, I was wrong. They were right. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think for my own sort of canon, like that's so much, that's so juicy. Why are you just, uh, I, it concentrated, it did tell us more about who the Knights of Ren were and it concentrated on this moment in Ben's fall, Kylo's rise. Uh, but it did leave, well, it answered a ton of canon questions and suggested a lot more. It did leave a lot open on either side of it, canon wise to explore. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. No, there's like literally, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, um, um, I, I, the rise of Kylo Ren part two, I'm all for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the the pre-fall of Ben Solo, I'm all for as well, which yeah, we'll yeah. talk about a little bit more about what other storytelling this has inspired us to desire. Uh, but for go. now, let's enjoy the actual storytelling we have right now in the rise of Kylo Ren. What We talked a little bit about our reactions, but uh, diving into uh, the actual story and the themes, what was your overall reaction? I thought this did a really good job of of not just explaining why not just explaining why Kylo fell on the surface but just how it was uh, it was different than any fall we've seen before there's definitely similar themes there're definitely similar capes uh definitely similar lightsabers but we're we're so familiar with the light and the dark we're so familiar with how Anakin f- fell and this was really highlighted it was a a fall built uh, 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 from the pressures of legacy and the pressures of generations come before you some of the pressures real and some of it imagined and i just thought this did a really good job of issue by issue detailing that while really lining up with the performance that we saw in in the films 
Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that one of my overall reactions is that it was great to see the fully see the different quality of Ben's fall from Anakin's uh, and see that it was such a slow tumble and that there were parts of it that he clearly gravitated toward wanting to embrace the dark side, but had a lot of resistance uh, as well, even as all of these kind of horrific events were happening. That was really powerful to see the different quality of that. Uh, It's also just uh, in terms of overall reaction, just kind of especially in that first issue blown away by the sheer amount of here's a bunch of canon. Uh, Here's how things were at Luke's school here. There were actually other Jedi traveling around uh here's how snoke presented himself to ben and just the sheer volume of i think after being in a sort of parched in a desert of wanting more sequel trilogy canon it was almost like this flood uh, of canon in this four issue comic book yeah it does start pouring out and you have to kind of pick up speed including what are these ships they're flying yeah it's all kind of (laughs) yeah they're some weird and awesome ships and uh yeah and i really loved uh for overall reaction the the visuals in general were great uh some of them very much their own original uh visions but also a lot of uh just visual and thematic connections to the movies that this did not feel disconnected from the sequel trilogy films at all oh no not at all not at all Cool. So let's, uh, those are our overall reactions. Let's get into things that we love. Uh, we're going to talk in lots of detail about lots of parts of this uh, story, the uh, beats and the characters. But what were the big picture things that you love? I, the big pictures things I love were the small detail like insights into, into the force and the dark side and light side and powers. Uh, a little bit later on, you know, Kylo's ability to go inside. Minds being kind of a, uh, it's like a Jedi mind trick, just a little more uh, evil in it, you know, things like that. Uh, just little simple lessons from Luke because we got to see Luke teaching here. Yeah. And I, I, I love it. And I, yep, there might be some people like, oh, we should have got that on the big screen. I think you did with Ray, but to actually see him as a uh, school marm Luke, um, I really liked, uh, like, for instance, the holocron um, uh, thing with Hennix uh, of like, you got to be open to it. You can't just open the holocron. You have to be open to what it wants to tell you, what it wants to uh, teach you or, or what you need to hear from it. And, uh, and to me that, that runs straight on into Ray um, not being able to hear the Jedi voices, but they were there and she just had to be open to it. You know, it's like those little things. Yeah. Were yeah there are just a, a ton of amazing, uh, beautiful uh, little uh, moments like that. For me, one of the big uh, things that I loved is just getting to see Luke in his prime. And I'm, I am not upset that we didn't see that in the film. I think they chose a starting point in The Force Awakens where it, Ben has already fallen. Luke has already uh, gone away. Han and Leia have already been separated. So we can just start in the middle of full conflict. I think they, they made that choice, and I have more than accepted that choice. Still, you know, as a kid who's loved Luke Skywalker all his life, uh, it was so cool to see him in this new canon, in his prime, and teaching. Yeah, just that one shot of him uh, at the school with R2 sitting there. It was just kind of like this, as it as it should have been after Return of the Jedi, this is the life Luke wanted. Yeah, yeah, and getting to see him in his in his prime uh, in that face off with the Knights of Ren, which we're, we're going to talk about because there's some glorious beats there. Yeah, um, I think one of my other big picture things that I loved is getting 
uh, clarity not only on Ben's fall, but clarity on Snoke and or Snoke as Palpatine's puppet, uh, but for ease of uh, conversation, Snoke, getting clarity on Snoke's manipulation of Ben and just mm, being able yeah. to see it instead of infer it. Yeah, yeah, all the things in his head, all the conversa- all the, all the, all the conversations he was having with him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, then the, my other big picture thing that I loved is that uh, we don't spend a lot of time at all with uh, Leia as a character, but I like the way Leia's shadow, uh, uh, I guess, well, maybe her glow, <laughs> uh, affects these incidents in that there's this, um, this great element of tragedy where there are a couple different points where someone is almost going to bring Leia into the problem. And I got that great sense of tragedy of if Leia had been brought into the problem soon enough, maybe things would have gone a different way for Ben. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can talk more about that in a bit, but I liked how how it. Um, there's one particular moment where I think even he had that choice, right? Where where Ben is, and he's like, got vi- uh, pictures laid. He's like, eh, we're not going there in his head. Like he already feels he can't go back. Yeah. And yeah, and I interpreted that moment that he's he's given it the tiniest bit of consideration, and then the evil voice in his head is right mm-hmm. there. And it's just uh, such such tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the the three Jedi that we meet uh, talk about, well, what should we do about you know mm-hmm. this horrible tragedy? Should we go see Leia? And they're like, no, let's handle it ourselves first. Like, no, you fools, you fools. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that um, is the lesson of the Skywalker saga. If you have a problem, go to Leia. Yeah, absolutely, it is. <laughs> um, any other big picture things that you loved uh, before yeah. we uh, dive in to more yeah. of the details? Uh, a couple couple things uh, on my mind there. Uh, the reveal that some of the big choices that we believed uh, based on the storytelling so far. Uh, the journey wasn't complete uh, for us as fans. Some of the big choices weren't Ben's. The the big one, the big reveal, I think, was an issue one of that. Um, he didn't necessarily blow up the temple that uh, you know. I believe the Knights Ren did. You know that 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 um, he didn't necessarily kill one of the uh, was it Vo that he didn't kill. I can't. Um, uh, Ty. 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 That Ren did. Like. And so these these big choices weren't his. He may or may not have done them, but they weren't his. And to me, that added to his journey, the one we pick up in the films, where he feels like a fraud. He feels like he can't hold up to the legacy. And it's not just because he's trying to and failing, because he knows deep down he didn't do some big things and he might be taking credit for it or being given credit for it. Like, oh, you the guy that wiped out Luke's school? Um, yes, uh, I am. Of. Yeah. <laughs> And so it, he's his whole persona now is just built and based on this rocky foundation. I really like that idea. It, it just yeah. it jumped off the page. Um, uh, we'll probably deal with this again, but there was a great uh, point of just every path goes in two directions. And we keep talking about this idea of destiny is really just the thing that takes you to the path of choice. And the choice can still be yours. I thought that was really great. Um, and there was uh, some stuff in there from Ben's point of view. Um where he kind of expresses Luke and Snoke puts them in the same bucket. They wanted to uh, Ben to be his legacy. They were all about what uh, the past was for Ben and can he live up to this, whether it be Vader, whether it be, uh, you know, your dad or Ben Kenobi. And just from, again, from uh, Ben's point of view, 
it, it ties into this uh, Last Jedi moment of no Jedi Sith kill them all. Uh, they they both are equal in my mind. Again, that's from his point of view. But I thought that get to see it take seed here and start to really already be inside him. Then I really liked that. Yeah, yeah, you do really feel like you're getting to see the first moments where what is eating him is becoming clear in his own mind to the point where he can fully express it. Yeah. Yeah. And act on it. Uh, great, some great points there that I definitely want to uh, follow up on. I do want to talk uh, about if there's anything that we disliked or questioned. Do you have anything on the dislike or question list? Yeah. Snoke's hat or hair. or <laughs> um, I, and this is slightly tongue in cheek, um, but it is one of those designs. I, I even even this morning, even now, I've got it in my hand. Even now, I'm looking at it, going, "What is that? What's <laughs> is it? Doing? A weird toupee or a <laughs> hat? Toupee, a newsy hat, braids? <laughs> What's he got going on? I, the robe's fine. I, I you know, he's not always going to be in his gold robe. There, uh, the hair, the haircut. I don't know what it was. So it was distracting. Uh, and again, this isn't a big knock on it, but I just I couldn't even now. I still want to know the answers. <laughs> I would absolutely be happy to see uh, Snoke uh, comped into the film Newsies with that cap, just <laughs> dancing and singing and selling yeah. newspapers. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think, like I said, one of the things that I loved the most is seeing that Snoke was this physical a voice in Ben's head, but also a physical presence that Ben could go to so he could, you know, manipulate him the same way that Sidious slowly manipulated Anakin. Mm. Uh and I really, really like that. But there is this feeling of, I'm not evil. I have a hat. Yeah. <laughs> so true. I couldn't be evil. I'm on a garden planet that happens to have some death on that, which will be a teaching point. And also, I have a hat. So, yeah, yeah it's so I'm true. not bad. Lines up with uh, Palpatine, uh, definitely just kind of being like, a, uh, you know, a nice old guy in a robe. Just, oh, Anakin. Oh, Anakin. Yeah. I'm just chatting with you at an opera. There's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Uh, I I appreciate the finer things in life like opera. <laughs> and weird hats that might be hair. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, for me, one thing that you brought up is I did feel like there was a little bit of ambiguity that I didn't know whether or not it was supposed to be ambiguous mm. with such a central thing of the destruction of the temple. So when I first read the comic, I think I had been sitting so long with this idea that, uh, you know, Luke uh, briefly raises the blade. That's all of the uh, validation that Ben needs to believe that Luke fears him and that Luke betrays him and and it sets him off. And he not only brings the the hut down on Luke, but he slaughters everybody. And I don't mind that being changed. I think there's a lot of interesting things that you pointed out really well, but he's pointing in the comic he's pointing his saber at the temple Mm. he's screaming in rage saying why clearly he feels betrayed not only by luke but just kind of by the concept of being a jedi and then to me in we see that panel you got the comic in front of you the the panel where there's like almost like red in his eyes Mm -hmm. he's screaming why did you do it yeah and then the temple explodes and i think for me maybe there are other listeners who are like duh this is exactly what happens but for me i feel like there's a little bit of ambiguity of like is that his rage reaching out 
or is there somebody else? Like you said, is it the Knights of Ren? Is it, well, you know, uh, some other dark power from afar? But exactly who did that seems ambiguous to me. Well, you might be right. And, and looking at it again, and uh, now I have reason to believe the Knights of Ren wouldn't have touched it, um, to be honest, as I, as I kind of look at the panel again. The idea that he could make it explode with his mind. Um, um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, but yeah, he, there, I'm, I'm going flipping a little bit long. He, he does say, I never, I didn't want this, I didn't want this. So whether or not he did or not with his mind, because now even looking at the panel, as I speak to you, yeah, you might be right, but he's, it's almost like he starts it and he doesn't understand that he started it. Cause it starts to smoke and he's asking, what, 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 what? So you're right. Yeah. It's ambiguous a little bit there, but that's fine. A little storytelling will move around, but then sometimes uh, I clearly, I think I took it down to maybe a wrong path with someone else doing it. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that is like, I, I don't dislike it. I think there's, I just question it a little bit, but I think, uh, the important thing to me is whether or not it's intended to be incredibly clear that Kylo is doing it, whether when I first read it, I thought, oh, that's a mystery and we'll figure out who actually did that. And then when it, when there wasn't any sort of reveal in the rest of the issues, I went back and thought, oh, it, it seems like he's doing it. But regardless of that, I think everything that you said really stands in terms of what matters is that he didn't intend to do that. It wasn't like Anakin marching into the Jedi Temple where he's like, I've made my choice and I'm doing this. Right. It, right. It, it, the rage leaked out of him <laughs> and destroyed and killed to the point where he's like, I didn't, I didn't mean to kill. And whether he did it, whether, you know, he caused it or somebody else was involved in some way, what matters is it's not what he wanted. It, it, it would make some sense that he did it uh, similar to now what we see with Ray and Rise of Skywalker and, and destroying the troop transport and, and, and hurting BB-8 and doing a lot of things. But Ray seeing, you know, her anger, her power causing harm for him to kind of experience that too. And to know what that means, but to deep down inside, cause he actually says the word, I, I never, I, I didn't want this. And, and that's where Snoke's in his head. You did not choose it, Ben. The Jedi did Skywalker, uh, and immediately manipulating it to be on Luke's hands. So it all yeah. does come track, but yeah, you're right. But that's sometimes the problem, uh, not problem, but sometimes the choices you make as a, as a creator, you leave things open and then it can be interpreted wrong. But also yeah. I'm not all for big giant. Um, you know, the answers are on the, uh, uh, you know, billboard in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think your, your, your pull to connect that specifically to Ray, cause I think there are a lot of moments in these, uh, issues that are supposed to be like, I, I think Snoke greeting him as my boy before a rise of Skywalker even came out is very much on purpose to, you know, line things up. So I think you connecting uh, that scene where Kylo in rise of Skywalker, where Kylo is pushing Ray on purpose to see what comes out of her is mm. a great connection to this of like, he has been through this. He knows when you've got anger buried, it comes out in surprising ways when you're pushed. And yeah. And he, and then, then so then Ben's going to be like, and it got me. So it's going to get you. Yes, well, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My only other dislike, which is incredibly uh, minor and pedantic and immature, is uh, Ty's lightsaber design <laughs> with the <laughs> weird balls on it. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that. I didn't necessarily have a problem with it, but I remember looking at the lightsaber and being like, you know, Joseph really pays attention to hilts. I wonder if he likes this. <laughs> let's just say up. I would not build that uh, at uh, Disneyland. Let's, let's just say that. <laughs> 
It's a very cosmic kind of cool disco bl- uh, hilt. Yeah, there are yeah, there's disco balls. Yeah, it just looks it, it, there's something about it that just doesn't quite have a flow. It's a little clunky. It looks hard to hold and I was minorly distracted by the balls on Ty's lightsaber. Right. You know what? Me with Snoke's hat, you with the disco ball lightsaber. <laughs> but if those are our biggest criticisms, then that it's clear that we really love this comic book. Uh, yeah. So let's dive into some of the big picture themes. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of combine, I, I wrote in my notes two different themes, but I want to kind of connect them because I think they are uh, connected. I'm just going to run down uh, some of the kind of evidence for them so we can get into the actual meat of the theme. So one is, how does your name define you? And I think that's very, uh, to me, the main theme, given that that's kind of how it gets brought up very early in uh, the series, and it's literally how it ends. Uh, We learn that Ben is named after Legends. We get canon confirmation that he is named after this great Jedi, Obi-Wan, who Ben has never met. Uh, We we hear have Ben saying, Solo's name is a lie. Great connection uh, to the actual movie solo and all of the meaning and history there. We learn that Ben thought of another name as a child. We don't hear what that is, but I took that implication is that it's Kylo. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, his friend Ty asks him about who he is, and Ben just responds, I'm Ben Solo, which I thought was a great, subtle, like, I'm just who I've been told to be. It's just, I've, I've just been given this name, and that's, that's who I am because it's my name. And then, mm-hmm. of course, the comic ends on, what's your name? Uh, and the implication is we all know what his name is now. He has become Kylo Ren. So how did that name theme grab you or, or, or how do you think it connected to larger Star Wars storytelling? I think it connected in a great way because it's he's the son of Han Solo. I love that it's mentioned. You and I have talked a lot about that scene in Solo. I understand it's a controversial scene. It's a scene that I didn't think I wanted. I don't know if I'd still put it in. But then when I start get, getting storytelling like this in Star Wars – I love that moment in the movie Solo where Han creates his own identity because that is more powerful. That's who he is. We talk a lot about found family. Han found himself in that moment and and took power in a name that was just tossed off on him. Uh, You and I both kind of appreciate just the imperial nonchalance, whatever. This is who you are. And Han and Alden, to me, in that moment becomes Han Solo. And it, it's in his eyes. And that's why I think it's one of the best little acting moments in the movie. So to come back now and see this and just have Ben is almost the audience. It's what it's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. It's not even who he is. Where it's not even his real name. Yeah. Real name where it's it's the real Han more than anything. More than anything, it's the real Han. It's the Han he became when all else failed, when all else failed him. So I love that kind of a callback just in that particular moment. But then also what we were saying earlier, just like Luke wants me, Snoke wants me. They all want me to be these names. Uh, and I love, I love, it's almost cute. It's almost cute of little like five-year-old Ben, seven-year-old Ben going, I wish my name was Kylo. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Assuming that was it. Maybe it was, uh, you know, he wanted to be Chewy Jr. I don't know. But so it's it, it's it's powerful, and we also let's not forget Ray and her name, and yeah. stirs up a lot of passions. I get it, but this is the other side of that coin to me. Yeah, no, I think everything you're saying is just uh, uh, so on point. Uh, I love the idea that 
yeah, Solo is his tossed off name. And then Han Solo made it mean something to the point where he's, you know, the legend that we hear about in The Force Awakens. You're that Han Solo. You're the, you know, the famous smuggler, the famous, uh, they don't say in the movie, but famous racer. You know, you mm-hmm. uh, you fought, you're the general, you know, a war hero. He made it mean something. And I, I always like for my own headcanon that that's a part of the reason that he's not uh, Organa. Mm-hmm. That he's solo. That Leia has a little bit of like, you you made this name something. Let's pass it on to your son. Yeah, uh, and that's really powerful to me. And then going with a lot of Ben's damage to feel like it's a lie. It's not earned. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, super him. powerful. And mm-hmm. I, particularly when I read it through the second time, the comic ending on "What's Your Name?" When I first read it, I was like, "Oh yeah, cool, cool. That's there's Kylo Ren." But the power of its connection to this is the dark side version of the end of Rise of Skywalker, where Ray chooses her name because it's a part of how we craft our identities is our power over our own names and her embracing a, a legacy rather than running away from it. And all of those just straightforward dark side version of this light side version of this was really powerful to me. Yeah, it uses a. I mean, they're a dyad in the force, but uses kind of separate bookends on the same story there. Uh, I, I really liked it. it. That worked for me a lot. Yeah. There, there again, talk about, uh, you know, a, a creator or creators just saying, hey, we're going to leave this open ended, but it's there for you to take if you want it. Um, well, in many ways, I like that choice. Yeah. So you mentioned this a little bit, and I think it, it ties so much to the idea of a name defining you. But I thought another thing was, how do you choose your identity? Because Ben is so clear about he feels like his choice was taken from him at birth. So there's the uh, sort of lack of um, uh, uh, that feeling of being unwanted as a person because he says they didn't want him as a person. They just wanted him as a legacy. The light side and the dark side, uh, Luke and Snoke both wanted him for their legacy. But to me, that's all about like so much of his anger is coming from, well, I didn't get to choose who I am. and I think it really ties to the moment at the end, toward the end, uh, when uh, Ben Solo is trying to decide whether he wants to do this uh, good kill that the Knights of Ren ask for, right. which seems to be killing someone close to you, is there a definition of a of a good kill? Um, that Ren is, not Ren, Ben, is right there trying to decide who he's going to be by whether or not he chooses hope or whether or not he chooses death and violence by killing his old friend Ty and Ren at that time, the leader of Knights of Ren just called Ren takes that choice away from him. Um, right. So there's another, it's a big turning moment for him where his ability to choose his own identity has been taken from him yet again. So how did all that stuff land for you? Did it resonate? Did it pop off the page? Yeah, it, it pops off the page, as I mentioned, a little bit of just the idea of how he views it, because I, I don't think – I, I think Luke could see himself – a little failure in himself on, yeah, what did I do? Did I give him a choice? Maybe he doesn't want to be a Jedi. <laughs> did, 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 did anyone ask him? Did anyone sit down? Yeah. And maybe Luke's feeling that out there, and that's, uh, it makes sense, but it, it, how it can be twisted and turned, not even from Snoke or, or Palpatine or any Dark Force, but just how a young – uh, a young kid uh, himself or their self can, can, 
can take uh, some of this forced legacy and eventually rebel against it. I don't want to play football anymore, Dad. I don't want to study the guitar anymore, Mom. I don't want to do that. I want to be me. Uh, that's very realistic uh, to, to see in Star Wars. But now to have the light and dark and the galaxy <laughs> at at risk because of this decision just heightens it. And so I love seeing it be pulled out and love how I think it directly connects with some of that stuff in Episode Eight, uh, specifically in the throne room. So. It, it did pop off for me, this whole thing with the name. And let's not forget the, the opening the opening page is this character, Ren, saying, I'm called Ren, but that's not my name. <laughs> it names, identity, yes. masks, it's all there. So it's pretty powerful. Uh, yeah, so it all worked for me. Yeah, I think it, it, your it, it, real world examples are really powerful. I think that's what makes uh, us sympathetic to Ben and, and makes this really relatable. I love that this is the idea of, the interpersonal family stuff, yes, but also just the cosmic version. What if you if if you go to, hey, my mom wants me to play the guitar and my dad wants me to be a football star, but that <laughs> is the cosmos, you know? Yeah. It makes it uh, really relatable and powerful. And I, another thing that occurred to me when you were talking about the real-world examples is I feel like what's going on with, with poor Ben is it's not even that he doesn't want to follow the path or, or is feels pulled to the, the path of the dark. It's just that he wants to choose for himself. Yes. And I yeah. I think that happens in the real world too, where sometimes, you know, you'll rebel because your parents are pushing you in a direction. It's like, it's not even that I don't want to play guitar, mom. It's that I want to feel like I made the choice myself and that I wasn't just pushed into it. But if you give me some space and let me decide for myself, I might decide that. Yeah, absolutely. Because because the thing that keeps coming up and, and it comes up in this here and, and it comes up in Rise of Skywalker comes up in, in in all of them, but but really Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, I, I he he does not. I I don't think he cares about the dark side. I don't think he's there for it. I think it's there because it gives him more powerful, and it seems like the thing to do. And he's trying to live up to the legacy of Vader, but even then, he thinks he's failing. Uh, but but that's why he says several times, "Jedi, sit. They all gotta go." Uh, he tells Palpatine, "I don't, you know, I'll kill you too. I don't care. I'm not here for you. <laughs> I'm here for me." And that 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 really starts to you see the, the strings attach uh, back to uh, this Ben that we're reading about. Yeah, yeah, and and it was just. Um it was really powerful to me that I didn't really concentrate on when I first read it, that all of that is so beautifully boiled up in those last, his last big fight uh, in those last moments of his choice being taken away by, you know, the Wren. Uh, and I think you're, you're, it's so uh, such great insight from you that he kind of technically did this dark side stuff, but he didn't ever really get that good kill. He didn't, kill somebody close to him because Ren took that from him and he killed Ren, which just yeah, lines absolutely. up so well with him still wanting to achieve that goal and, and prove something to himself and free him from himself from the pain and be, um, be totally committed to the dark side by killing his father. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah, the use of the, the word pain there. That's he, he was in constant pain. He's in constant pain here. Yeah. So uh, moving along to the other big theme, uh, I really, really loved uh, this idea that I think strings through a lot of Star Wars storytelling about the light and the dark, but seemed like such a central, central idea in the rise of Kylo Ren is this idea of does the light offer more freedom or is the darkness freedom? 
And I think in this comic, it's pretty clearly presented as a manipulation uh, told by uh, Snoke and uh, and or Snoke as Palpatine's puppet. But Palpatine is definitely in on it. But it gets presented again and again, this idea that the light side represents rigidity and restraint and the dark side is honesty and freedom. So we get Snoke straight up saying rules destroyed the Jedi what is powerful about the Knights of Ren is they just follow the Ren, that it's this, whatever our desires are, whatever our hungers are, we consume and we move on. That's the honest way to live. Uh, Snoke makes that argument about that garden planet that he's on, that the light was trying to hold, uh, hold the darkness back, but the darkness is natural and it consumed part of the planet. Uh, and we even get that in little details of, you know, Ben kind of pouting that Luke won't let Ben pilot the ship or do anything. <laughs> that was one of my favorite little moments. He won't right? even let me fly. <laughs> Could at least do that. And I loved, this is just a drive-by, but I loved Luke's. There should be weapons there. You like weapons. <laughs> yeah, there was. That, that was a really great sequence because then Snoke's right in his head like, oh yeah, of course he wouldn't let you fly. And oh, the Jedi, they love collecting stupid things. Yeah, it's all, it's it's base level stuff. Yeah, yeah. So to me, it it feels like that's a lot of what this picture of how people fall to the dark side is uh, this well-orchestrated lie by manipulators like Snoke and Palpatine. Uh, in they may be one and the same, I know, um, that the dark side is freedom. Because when you're trying to hold yourself back and think about others and not act rashly and not hurt anybody, you can feel constrained. In this lie that if you just lash out and do whatever you want, that's truth, that's freedom. And you see in this arc that Ben starts to fall for that. And then as soon as he does fall to the dark side, he's not free of the pain. He's Mm. still in pain in The Force Awakens. He's still feeling the pulls of the light because that's it's not the truth that the dark side is freedom. It is the dark side just leaves you wanting more. Mm. It, it this whole sequence is uh, like Snoke's giving a reverse Sunday morning sermon, the kind I've heard before, uh, where, yeah, um, th- these freedoms y- you're craving for yourself might be the very thing that destroys you because you might be tied to um, a lot of things you don't see coming, you know, and and there is this uh, the, the light side might be a little bit of denial of self uh, and that might lead to a different kind of, of, of freedom. And then I'm kind of just, you know, boiling this all down into a, 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 a simple words here, but you know what I mean? Where it's just like it, so it, it tracks, it, it makes sense. It is like, no, this is who I want to be. You're holding me back. Um, so therefore I'm going to take that quicker, more seductive path. And then now just what you said, I do that and the pain's worth and, and who I, and, and I'm trapped and I can't get away from it. And the greed grows and the power uh, thirst grows. And, and now you're all there. Uh, where it wasn't rules that destroyed the Jedi. It was the Jedi getting away from themselves, as we know. We've talked a lot about with Ahsoka. So it is, it, it's all like Snoke's right there, speaking some truths from a certain dark point of view, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, it's so great. I think it just really, uh, for me, it was a beautiful way to firm up the idea of the dark side as a trap. That, you know, mm. for Anakin, it was his promise that that's the way to save Padme and it wasn't it was a way to hurt her and it was a way to make him always be longing for her and for Ben who who wants to be able to make his own choice about who he is 
he gets the trap that, oh, the dark side is the way to be free and to be your real self. And we learn, of course, it's not. He just ends up wanting to be Vader. Then he just ends up wanting to have power for power's sake because he just can't turn back. And it's just a trap. Can't turn back. Can't stop. You know, the, the, the death of his father at his own hands just haunts him, haunts him, haunts him until, until he, he, he forgives himself for it, I guess, in a way, or feels forgiven for it. So, yeah, you're right. Um, so good job, Snoke. You're proving your own points against yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk about his ultimate fall moment. So he is ex- clearly expressing his anger about feeling trapped between the light and the dark and wh- who other people want him to be, uh, other people defining him. Uh, Ty is uh, his old friend who they seem to, to share a bond and Ty is really trying to get through to him and saying, you know, it doesn't matter how far you go down the path, you can still turn back. There's always a choice. There's always hope. It matters if you help one or two people. Also, it's a great uh, light side stuff. And Ben is there trying to make that choice about whether or not to kill him. Ren takes it from him by snapping his old friend's neck. And that is then pitched in the comic as the true moment of Ben's fall where mm-hmm. he gives into his anger and kills Ren yeah. uh, and, and takes the mantle. And I'm really intrigued by that being the moment because in the comic, we get this great sequence of uh, Snoke and, and, and visually in the comic book, uh, Darth Sidious Palpatine are encouraging him and, and delighted. They got him. Uh, Leia is sensing that something awful has happened and, and probably one of the biggest reveals of the comic young Ray with Unkar plot feels cold because she knows something's awful has happened so it just it really pick, paints that moment as this is the moment where he fell absolutely uh, yeah because you know you could play this game of well then he, he after that he, he kills the, the last Jedi student and it's like that was the first thing in cold blood, but yeah, that might be the first thing he did um, while in tune with the dark side. But this idea, he got, I'm trying to get to the line here when he finally says, uh, cause there's a lot of talk of the shadow. Ren talks about the shadow. And when, when Kylo just proclaims, I am the shadow, like it's, it's really nicely done, real powerful. And that is where we cut the Palpatine and um, it's not Snoke. It's Palpatine saying, now you will be who you are. And uh, you, you, uh, who you were always meant to be, and so now he's in his ear. So yeah, that's the moment. I like that. It's not even necessarily the death; it's the committing to the dark side. Yeah, I think you're totally right because I think this comic has had so much where he is lashing out, but he, he just wants to go figure out who who he is. He didn't mean to uh, destroy the temple. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to kill his uh, former uh, co-students. He wants to go just figure himself out. And this is the moment where he's like, you know what? No, I am going to let all the darkness in and I'm going to act on it. Right. Cause it's, it's mm-hmm. not a, uh, Jedi kill. It's not in, he's not saving anybody else's life in that moment. He's not acting out of defense to kill Ren. He is just letting the dark side in and it's just vengeance for vengeance sake. Yeah. I love And even before the sequence for, um, having the benefit of having the, the panels right in front of me here on my phone here. Thanks technology. Um, when Ren says, you don't want to live in the shadow, and he says, he's just basically saying, Snoke was wrong about you. I'm going to have to report back to him. You, you just, you're just questioning everything. You're fighting this every step of the way, he says. 
Uh, and that's, that's when Ren says, you want to, you don't want to live in the shadow. And that is when Kylo's like, yeah, true. I am the shadow again. That to me, I take it as slightly even different than, than the fall of Anakin where Anakin just, you know, wanted to find peace or comfort and, and, and save Padme in the dark side under the banner of the dark side. Kylo's above it all. He's like, I am the dark side. I, I like, it's a little tiny, subtle twitch that I, switch that I really love. Yeah, I really love that too because there's a thread throughout as well about on one hand Ben kind of pushing back against his legacy, and then on the other hand, like, but I am really powerful and better than everyone. Yeah, <laughs> and this also seems like a I am I am not just kind of good at the dark side. I am the dark side. I mm. am the most. I am the best. I am embracing my legacy in that way, which also sets him on that path of. Well, okay, if you declare you are the dark side, but your grandfather is one of the most famous dark side warriors ever, <laughs> you get yourself into your head about, okay, but, but, but am I Darth Vader? Yeah. 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 Um, so does, does this, uh, does this moment work for you as his fall? I mean, we just talked about a bunch of things that we loved, but it does have an interesting, uh, relationship with the last Jedi where you could watch just the film and say, oh, the moment where he snapped, the moment where there was no turning back is when he felt betrayed by Luke. Mm. Do you feel like these moments work together? Does it change your perception of Last Jedi? It does. I think one of the one of the things with this comic, uh, when you ask, you know, things I disliked or more important things I question, the the immediate aftermath of what we see in Last Jedi. So he does this. He brings uh, the temple down on Luke. And what's the immediate aftermath? It wasn't what I expected. And you and I have always talked about speculate responsibly and all those things you hear us say in the force center world always, it, 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 it's not that, that I am past it in terms of uh, uh, my fandom. I sometimes come into some things with a lot of expectations. And so I expected this story to start differently. Obviously I knew it was going to end up or thought in general where it was going to end up, but you know what I mean? Like, this wasn't what I expected, so I had to let it go and follow the story. I thought that was the moment, right? That would make sense. I did this. I destroyed the temple. I am uh, yours now, Snoke. But the fact that there was a couple more steps to it, a couple more powerful things, uh, was uh, uh, was really good for, for me to, to, to let myself just enjoy it as it comes along. Yeah, I, I went on the same journey of when I just first read the first issue. I was like, okay, I got to really be patient to see where this is going because... I had so had it in my head that that's the moment. And then Kylo goes on a rampage and uh, takes out, you know, the Jedi and just starts to burn it all. Uh, so I had to go like, oh, wow, this is really different than what I expected. Let me take a deep breath and see where it goes. And where I ended up is is liking that this is the story of that that moment where he gave himself to the dark side, declared himself the shadow. This, the ripple is felt across the galaxy from Leia to Rey to Palpatine to me that it reframes the moment in the last Jedi is being more about, uh, Kylo Ben's relationship with Ray, that this is the reason he's telling her that story is because that's the moment where he feels most betrayed by Luke. And he wants her to understand him. He wants her to have empathy for him. He wants her to feel like that's, what's going to happen to you too. All these, all these people from my past, that you look up to, they're going to let you down and you're going to just have to go to the dark side because that's what happened to me. So it's not really my fault. Luke did this to me and that's what's going to happen to you. Yeah. And I, I also love it on just a base, 
level petty jealousy from from Kylo. <laughs> like he did this to me, he's going to do that to you, right? <laughs> oh yeah, and that's totally there in Force Awakens too. It's like oh, Han Solo will let you down, you know. Yeah. You will yeah. say he's going to be home by ten to play ball with you, but he's not going to be. He's going to want you to learn guitar. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, do you have empathy for Ben? Do you have more empathy for Ben because of this comic? I think I have more understanding of Ben's points of, of view. Um, and I, I've always had a lot of empathy. That's what I just, I just thought this character right from, right from the start, man, I thought just what Adam driver's brought is just a different kind of confusion, a different kind of path to the dark side or, or beyond it. And I like that it's beyond it. This kind of clarifies that even more for me. And it is more than just choosing the light and the dark. It is about being who he thinks he should be, who he feels he should be. And you talk about the tragedy of Leia almost learning and him almost turning back and him not wanting to kill this person and not wanting to do this and crap, it happened, but I did it. And the fact that that we've seen other falls just have more precise moments of, cool, I'm on your team now. I like that this one has a lot of room in that way. There's tragedy. There's more tragedy, and and you could almost Ben could have almost been pulled back at any time, and I like uh, I like that story. Yeah, I, I I agree. I like that this makes it clear of like, well, no, he much like Anakin, he's been being manipulated his whole life. One could argue even more intimately that he's had this voice in his head that it, and it, that could make you go like, oh, but so it's not his fault. But I like that this uh, story illustrates that he he felt the pull to the light too. And he had mm-hmm. choices in that even though he, he had this uh, incredibly difficult, uh, painful trauma of having this dark force whisper to him and manipulate him, he still had choice mm-hmm. and he still could have reached out to the people who were trying to make it clear that they loved him. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's why I really like that moment with Ty being so much about you You can still choose. It's OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Go, no, go for it. Uh, um, Ty saying every path goes in two directions and that never ends. It never ends. You can always turn around uh, in either yeah. way. And that is what ends up, I think, saving Ben. It's almost as if that is in his heart still. That's maybe haunting him for a long while. And and he's trying to convince himself that nope, nope, nope. Destiny is his path. It's one direction. And he finally uh, it, it learns, accepts the truth that, you, you know, again, two directions. I, I thought that was a real powerful statement. Every path goes in two directions. Yeah. Yeah. So it made him, it made Ben's fall unique, but also still connected to all of the Star Wars storytelling that's come before about you still have a choice no matter what. So I thought that was awesome. Uh, so those are some of the big thematic things. There's a ton of just fun canon and character details. So let's get into some of that. Uh, we spent some quality time with Snoke and his uh, hat, hair, cap, whatever <laughs> that was. But we got some uh, some big canon. We got that he has been whispering to Ben since he was young. Uh, the comic has an interesting relationship with uh, how much it's Snoke versus uh, Darth Sidious Palpatine because uh, Ben obviously physically visits Snoke, feels sometimes in his head calls him Snoke, but then as the comic goes on, we start to actually physically see Palpatine. Um, let, I want to just talk about that for a moment. Where are you at with wanting clarity on how the Snoke Palpatine puppeteering works? I I would wouldn't mind. Uh my dinner with Snoke uh, to come out a little bit later <laughs> where um, 
Palpatine either creates them or finds them because because he what what what's the exact line in in issue one? Snoke actually says here like I was not born Snoke, I was made or became Snoke. I think how it that's how it said. Yeah, you too. Um, I really so it's like oh that works. So it all it all works for me again. I was this when you put it down on paper, it all it all kind of syncs up and tracks. But um, yeah, I was not born Snoke, I became Snoke. So there's uh, he's not lying. <laughs> um, he's not lying. <laughs> Uh, but how much I, I, I see it as so that he's not just, a, he's not a pure clone of Palpatine. He's just, he's a creation, uh, and that there might be something in there that is his own and it's just, but, but Palpatine is communicating through him. I, I I'm fascinated by the connection. I don't feel we have all the answers yet. And, and that's exciting to me because it means we could get the answers and in my dinner with Snoke. Yeah. All right. I want my dinner with Snoke too. Yeah. Cause I still feel like. Snoke and Palpatine are in sync, whether it's Palpatine literally puppeteering him from afar mm-hmm. or, or it's, hey, I, I manipulated or cloned this person who already did exist or I, I bent them to my will and they knew that they were my uh, apprentice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really works for me that I love that Ben has a physical, he can go to him uh, and he can be yeah. manipulated in person, not just the the broadcast into the mind, but be manipulated in person the same way Palpatine did to Anakin is really great to me. In uh, going along with that, with the major Snoke backstory, when Ben goes to him on the garden planet, uh, it is implied, I believe Ben says to Snoke, look what uh, Master Luke did to you. Really, to me, implying that Luke gave Snoke the injuries, or at least that's what Snoke told Ben. Right. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Good point. Because either I want to see that fight or I want to see, again, that uh, that part of the conversation with Palpatine. Um, yeah, I like that. And this goes into because to me, look, Palpatine will know the value of a good face to face conversation. Clearly, uh, go to that uh, <laughs> uh, Squid Lake um, Opera House uh, moment. So if the fact that his his spirit has been transported across the galaxy and they can't find a body that works, but uh, they can somehow kind of create or use this Snoke creature um, that works for me, that exactly what you're talking about. It's more than just a voice to actually see it in front of you. It's easier for Ben to believe and to see the damage. So, yeah, is it manipulation or not? Now, in, in, in Last Jedi, uh, you know, de- you definitely think S- Snoke has a problem with uh, Luke. So is it is that Palpatine who would definitely have a problem with Luke? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, uh, questions that I want to answer. Yeah. Well, if you just got to choose for yourself as a fan, which would you rather the story be that? So Snoke is a clearly clone, whatever, uh, a puppet being powered by Palpatine, uh, whatever he physically is, he exists physically in the world. Would you want the story to be that, yeah, Luca came across him and, and messed him up? Or do you want that to be a lie that Snoke is telling Ben? Yeah, no, I want I want it to be real. I want it to be at some point between this moment where, you know, Lor Santeca and Luke are going around. At some point it's discovered, Ben, who are you talking to? Is something going on? And that's how Leia and Han find out, and that's everything. And 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 Uncle Luke's gonna go over to Snoke's bike shop and ask uh, what what are you doing with my nephew? And a fight ensues. That 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 would work for me in a roundabout sort of way versus a straight out manipulation. I, I, we have a ton of that and I wouldn't be have a problem with that, but you know what I mean? Uh, ignite the green, slap him upside the face. <laughs> I'm good with that. Oh, that's great. Cause I, I was kind of leaning towards yeah that. It's interesting that Luke actually did be like, well, I encountered a dark force user. I, yeah. I tried to take him down, but the added detail there uh, that, that you're adding of 
a truly heroic moment where Luke did try to save Ben from this dark influence. I think a lot of fans uh, would welcome that, would welcome that heroic moment from Luke where Luke was like, look, I tried. I thought I took care of this. Yeah. And when you attracted this uh, Snoke had already turned his heart type of thought, you know? Uh, yes. Yes. Track with that. So track to that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Snoke does a lot of kind of standard manipulation that we've already uh, touched on. He, he, you know, puts a lot of blame on Luke, you know, sets those seeds that, uh, that Luke uh, fears uh, Ben's power, maybe uh, jealousy that all Jedi are liars who lie to themselves about the, the truth of the dark side. Uh, and then I love the detail that Snoke totally in this moment lies to Kylo about the First Order. We see that First Order sentry droid. He's getting a call from Brendel Hux. <laughs> and Snoke's basically like, don't worry about it. I just have, I have some other friends. Don't worry about it. Uh, I love that because I love any reference of Brendel Hux, the bumbling fool. Um, uh, and I'm glad, and, and, you know, and, I, and, and in, in the mystery that I do, you know, I, I want my Ray Sloan content, but the fact that it's Brendel here, it's not Ray Sloan. And now we can get timelines about when, when bad things happen to her. And I, I want more of that story too. Yeah. It, it played powerfully for me, not just in the, okay, well, what is the timeline of the First Order? Uh, because of the visual dictionary, you know, we are led to believe this is uh, about the same time as the events of Bloodline, so about six years before uh, The Force Awakens. Mm, right. But really separating it out that this is the story of Ben's fall. And at this time, Ben has no idea, of, mm-hmm. you know, that Snoke is in, tied to the First Order. Right. That it isn't about, um, let me give you this power as well. Let me give you the galaxy. It's a personal uh, journey for Ben. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last detail I like with uh, Snoke is that, that in that manipulation in that first issue, he really is encouraging and manipulating Ben to seek out the Knights of Ren. But I love that he's really framing it like it's Ben's idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I cut my mic off there because my gardeners, I forgot they still show up. Um, <laughs> yes, sorry. Yeah, it, it uh, uh, gives this uh, this illusion of freedom provided by the dark side where it's such a great manipulation by Snoke of like, well, well, what do you want to do now? Oh, maybe you see those Knights of Ren? Great idea of yours, Ben. Yeah, yeah. I'll put in a word for you there, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that's what you want, because it's all about you making your own choices. It's just such uh, horrible and, and well-told <laughs> manipulation. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to the Knights of Ren themselves. Uh, before the movie came out, everybody was really dying to know more about them. Uh, once the movie came out, I think people were still dying to know a little bit more about them. Uh, so just to run it down, we learned that uh, uh, they, at least some of them were Force-sensitive, that they... Uh, preferred to hunt uh, and find people who are at least a little bit Force-sensitive. They seem to refer to the the Force or at least the dark side as the Shadow and that they worship the Shadow by following their desires. Uh, They're basically, uh, they're living out the Guns N' Roses album title, Appetite for Destruction. Uh, The Wren lives and consumes. It doesn't apologize. It smashes hotel rooms. It doesn't apologize. Uh, But really funneling into that idea of the dark side is freedom. Uh, to just hey, if you if you're hungry, eat it, take it, uh, and that's freedom. Yeah. Uh, now combining that, the the rise of Skywalker novelization makes it clear that the Knights of Ren are puppets of Palpatine. Did you have that in your mind as you were reading about uh, the Knights of Ren in this comic? 
I, I, yes and no. The, the thing I'll say is um, other than a couple moments, it just doesn't seem like, you know, you, you heard they mentioned Trudgeon, the uh, one of the Knights of Ren. Um, they are they are just they're thugs. They're thugs. And there's no I glad there's no additional development. I'm not I'm glad there's not a super roundtable conversation with all these guys just uh, chit chatting. It, it is Ren. He's in control and it's part of something else to me. And, and that worked for me. And the fact that they are literally uh uh, creatures that just want to watch the world burn. I love this catchphrase. Uh, Let's go find something to burn. Pops up a few times. Um, <laughs> I, I like that. You know what I mean? So it's like I, I don't feel I got more with them, and I like that idea because just they are just blunt weapons to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that really worked well, uh, as well as this whole idea of a a, a good death. Uh, that that's a big manipulation that Ren has to to let Ben Solo join them, to let them into the Knights of Ren, is that you need a, a good death, which means killing someone close to you, which uh, Ben doesn't actually do. And I love how, how much, as I mentioned, that, that sets him up for why he's obsessed with this being his final test of the mm. dark side in The Force Awakens, and it sets up Snoke's line of even you, uh, the master of the Knights of Ren, haven't faced a test like this. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. If if Snoke had said a good death, it'd been even better. But you know, that was yeah, years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other thoughts about Knights of Ren before we move on? No, uh, other than the 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 lead Ren, uh, Bob Ren. Um, I like. I grew to like him. I didn't <laughs> like him at first. I didn't like the design. It was. Um, it just it doesn't strike me this super ripped he-man body that uh and the the mask was cool but um and then the way he spoke he just was is almost like normal speak you know he had kind of like uh, you know some moments where he's like hey man like here's what it is but i grew to really <laughs> like it and i grew to like once he takes the mask off in front of ben um it resonates he's not some grotesque creature he's actually a good looking dude He's actually in good shape. He's actually charming. He actually, you know, you might want to grab a beer with him. And I like that it wasn't Snoke. It wasn't a grotesque face. It wasn't a demonic creature. It wasn't some alien species Ben wasn't familiar with. It was, it was almost himself. And yes. I like that choice in the end. So again, sometimes you just have to follow the path of the story. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, I like that he seems to uh, cut himself with the lightsaber that he has, which, mm. you know, to me balances out the like, yeah, he's he's a good looking uh, model, uh, mm. except for all of these horrible wounds that he yeah. seems to have inflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I do like that when Ben finds them at one point, they are just like hanging out in the bar and you do get the sense of like, not only are you fearsome dark side warriors who can touch the shadow a little bit, you you probably don't tip well and you're probably being just jerks <laughs> to the servers, you know? Yeah. That's the sign <laughs> of the dark side. You don't tip well. <laughs> uh, moving on to the other Jedi. So this is kind of a big reveal, I guess, to me, that, that, that Luke's temple was up and running to the point where we got very traditional Jedi in very traditional Jedi robes. They were clearly out on a mission. Uh, the droid that Ben leaves the planet with is a is a temple droid. So you get this sense that this community and, and this temple was sort of not just in its baby steps, but it's up and functional, especially when you look at how young they appear to be when they're starting. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like that it kind of uh, helped answer some questions of what Luke was doing. I like the shot we see. He doesn't have the beard. It's still it's closer to the Return of the Jedi Luke. 
Um, and again, I think there's more storytelling to tell or maybe we'll never get it. But I, I, I did like that idea. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really was surprised by it and ended up uh, really loving it because it got me excited about uh, more storytelling. But uh, then the the three Jedi that we do spend time with, uh, we learn about uh, Vo, who is jealous of Ben's power. It could never beat him or be better than him. And that uh, made her feel uh, angry and then made her feel ashamed. And uh, Ben has all these insights. Uh, and then we meet Hennix, who is a Quarren, uh, who saw the Force as a puzzle, and he was funny and smart. And then we got Ty, who was uh, Ben's friend, seemed very intuitive, uh, seemed to understand that Ben kept things uh, locked away. And and I got the sense that that Ty sensed that Ben was wrestling with the darkness and was in, encouraging him to just be kind of honest with himself and, and work through it. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on those Jedi? Um, a, a good example of, of just because you uh, are on the path to being Jedi doesn't mean, again, that you can't turn around and we don't want you to turn around sometimes there, but they do it in, in, in a really realistic kind of breakdown of, of, of these different Jedi. Ty, to me, you're right, Ben's friend seemed to be the one that uh, had the closest connection to him and kind of one of those, like, what ifs, you know, if he had, if he had been able to get to him, and, and which is why I'm even upset Ty, just go talk to his mom. Like, what are you doing? Um, uh, Hennix, I, I like, there's a, there's a part in there about Hennix, especially on the holocron part where Ben and Ben's kind of, you know, tossing him off in the story, just a little bit of just, just not discounting him as, as a, as a, as a Jedi, but the idea of just like he, that it was the process of learning that he was there for, not the learning, you know what I mean? Not the end result. Yeah. And that It was just a repeating pattern. And I, I think sometimes that is an absolute negative. I, I just think I've seen some some writing friends of mine. I've seen some people just like they're a page one rewrite person. And it's like we're, we're six years into this project. Let's get past it. <laughs> and, well, I, I, we got to learn to do it better. Like, no, we've, we're doing it and go forward. And and I'm odd sometimes with that. And so Hedex, I like that they showed that. Uh, and Vo was, uh, yeah, again, uh, Jedi – Jedi aren't perfect. So the, the, the thirst and, and, and quest for power is just one hand grab away. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Yeah. I, I loved that. They, they took the time to define these Jedi so that they don't uh, all just seem like what they're good, virtuous Jedi and that they mm-hmm. related to Ben's uh, arc. So believably that Vo by kind of constantly being upset that Ben is the legacy, the powerful one, and making it hard for Ben to let that go or forget about it. It was great. Uh, Ty's deep connection and being the good one who who really saw what Ben was going through and trying to reach him was great. But man, I loved Hennix. I loved a Jedi that is like you're saying like, uh, yeah, the destination is fine, but I'm also interested in the journey and mm. let me ponder all this. It's a small detail of this that I found really heartbreaking that when Ben is recounting to Ren who the Jedi are, that he describes Hennix is funny and smart. And he kind of like remembers a mm. joke that Hennix told. And you get to see of like, Ben probably just liked Hennix. Hennix mm-hmm. just seemed like he was probably like a fun guy to hang out with and chill after a day of meditation uh, that you yeah. could joke around with Hennix. And that, that humanity is just heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, so we're going to uh, move on. There's so much to talk about, uh, but we got to talk a little bit about Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master uh, Luke Skywalker. Um, 
uh, I'd like to just start with you. Of what what moments for Luke? We talked about a couple of them. Getting to see him as a uh, teacher, uh, we get to see him as a as an ass kicker when he fights the Knights of Ren. What part of Luke Skywalker's journey spoke to you the most? I love finally seeing uh, him and Laura Santeca out and about, even for just a little bit. It's also uh, one of our first commercials for the High Republic. <laughs> Talking <laughs> yes. pretty directly about it, and with Charles Soule working on it, there I expect to see some of that in uh, his uh, his uh, portion of the High Republic story. So I like that, it just because I've been fascinated with that. I, I really like the character of Laura Santeca to see that to actually see Luke uh, fighting. Uh, I know people want to see that, and we know being a Jedi and being Luke is so much more than just that. But to actually see it in action was cool. Little references you ha- you have um, you you haven't mentioned here, but just uh, uh, him dropping Jocasta News name is is one of those little like he he he. I like that. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, the, this is uh, even better than Jocasta News cachet. Um, yeah, a couple of things that I really liked. I liked how the artwork uh, tied this Luke to Last Jedi. Not only that he was wearing, you know, the outfit uh, that he yep. force projects into crate, but, you know, there's some angles that were very similar, kind of looking up at him. The way he dodged uh, one of the blows from the Knights of Ren was similar to the way he dodges uh, Kylo in Last Jedi. So I appreciated that he refers to himself as the Last Jedi. And then, you know, with kind of a kind look back toward Ben, but says, uh, but not for long. It's great. But oh, I think, that, uh, yeah. go ahead. No, oh, that was a real bittersweet moment. You know, it's like, Ben, this, this was your path, man. You just didn't see it. He was telling you, you just didn't see it. You were, you were upset. He didn't let you fly. And he was trying to give you the kingdom. And um, even though, you know, we glad it happens for Ray, but I, I thought it was a bittersweet moment. Yeah, absolutely. A bittersweet moment of like, he, he and, and with that little, like there, there'll be weapons there. He's so clearly trying to reach him yeah, and celebrate him, you know, is, is heartbreaking. Um, uh, great to see him as a teacher. We talked about the, some of those moments, but I think the number one thing I was fascinated by is, uh, kind of encapsulated by his line when he's talking to the Knights of Ren, he's, he's being a great Jedi. He's saying, well, technically, these artifacts belong to the Jedi Order, and I represent that. Uh, but even if I didn't, you are clearly of the dark side, and I, I must defend these artifacts from you. Uh, but then he says, can we just skip to the part where you all run out of here crying? <laughs> and at first I was like, hmm, is that is that too much of a tough guy line for Luke Skywalker? I really started to appreciate it because I think it ties together the Luke who is still firmly in the light, the Luke who is absolutely in his prime, a true master of the light side of the force, but he is a little cocky yeah, and he is a little grumpy and he's, uh, you know, <laughs> proud of his connection to the light and his power. And that to me connects a lot of the Luke Skywalker's that we've known over all the different movies. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Did did you like the uh, did you like the line? Did it uh, pop for you, or did you question it? Uh, no, the line was funny. I think this is a, you know it it, it it you know reminds me almost of something Mark Hamill would say. So uh, they are forever linked, obviously, right? So uh, yeah, no, I liked it, and I'm okay with you know this is Luke who's flicking uh, uh, space dust off his shoulder uh, during after uh, Walker's fire on him. So yeah, I I can see that being there. Yeah, like it's a little bit of a, maybe even a tactic of like, oh, I'll, I'll intimidate them a little bit. Uh, and then uh, later when uh, Vo is fighting Ren, she says, uh, yeah, I know you fought my master. He told me about it. And, you know, it ended with you all crying. So you get the picture that not only did Luke say that to the Knights of Ren, 
<laughs> but then he did chase them all out of there. And then he went back and told his students, you know what I did today? Yeah. Yeah. I made the Knights of Ren cry. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just thought it was really beautiful because it, 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 to me, it ties to the Luke that we see in The Last Jedi. And honestly, the Luke that we see in Empire Strikes Back, who's mm. a little more impatient and grumpy and a little sarcastic. Like, yes, Luke is the light side hero. He is the symbol of optimism, but he does have this slightly you know, snarky edge to him. And I like seeing that uh, connected there a lot. Yeah, it works. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is both the Jedi and Ben can't sense Luke in the force after uh, Ben pulls the hut down on him. And there's even a line where one of the Jedi says, normally the whole force sings with Master Skywalker's presence. What did you make of them not being able to sense that he was alive? As, as I don't believe that's the moment at least for me, that he cuts off uh, anything, right? Unless unless he decides that fast to do it, but I, I just don't get that sense. Um, um, but, but then again, maybe it is. Uh, it could be that he he might have been uh, close to death as possible. That it really was almost that uh, Ben defeated Luke, not completely, which is why they still kind of uh, doubt that Snoke and Sidious uh, or whatever, just kind of like, you're saying you killed him, but I don't think you did um you know what i mean so but then again that could be very much the moment it happens now that even even i'm talking about it out loud for 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 um luke to wake up come to see what's happened r2's there burning temple and maybe that it's the moment where he's like i gotta shut it off yeah i like this idea that maybe it's not even intentional but that his spirit is so broken in that moment that we see in the last jedi where he has that you know that instinct to Oh, I, I I can save everyone I love by, by igniting my blade, and then oh my god, what did I do? And turned it off. And that, that in that moment, he is so heartbroken, yeah, uh, that his his spirit doesn't feel the same. They're looking for the Luke Skywalker they know, and they're not finding it. Right. Yeah. Now that's actually a really good take on it. Yeah, I'll wait to see. You know, I almost don't want the final answer there, but that that kind of works for me as we talk it out. That, that that could be the moment where it all changed for Luke and the Force. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, we've had a lot to say about the rise of Kylo Ren. There are a bunch of other little canon uh, reveals and additions. Uh, we made some notes of them. Which ones do you, are, are you interested in? Which ones do you want to touch on as we wrap up here? I I think in my head, the, the reveal of Rey, uh, to me, I, I again, I, we don't know 100%, but I like this idea that uh, that's the Force awakening in her, <laughs> that this is the moment. That she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the first time it really pops for her. Maybe there's been some little things before. But the fact yeah. that, like, hey, you know, this thing's kind of always been there. There's been something slowly awakening me. Maybe this is kind of one of those big points. Oh, yeah, that line to Luke of it's always been there, but now it's awake. And that she's had moments like this where she's felt significant mm-hmm. moments in, in the Force and in Ben's life. Yeah. yeah. That hit me like a ton of a brick, that panel that she was just, you know, that she feels cold, you know, the classic, the presence of the dark side in, in the moment where Ben fell at, that's really powerful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of any of the other like little details, like, uh, the internet lost their mind about, uh, Ben's awesome Knights of Ren outfit, uh, his, uh, cool ship being called the Grimtash, uh, any of that kind of stuff, uh, you, that you want to talk about. I liked his outfit because to me, uh, it was very reminiscent of like, uh, uh, Alden Ehrenreich's 
uh, Karelian outfit and 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 solo the beginning the white vest and everything to me yeah. like a, a dark side version of that or a shadow version of that I liked that a lot yeah and I look forward when we can all uh, gather together in large groups seeing that uh, cosplay just massively mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah I want that figure <laughs> oh yeah for sure uh, last uh, detail that I wanted to uh, touch on is that the end of this story is him bleeding and cracking his own crystal, modifying the lightsaber he's always had, but specifically that that iconic blade with the vents in the in the shaky uh, actual mm. blade is not because, oh, he couldn't find a good kyber crystal. It's because he literally shattered his own, and that is truly the reflection of his presence in the dark side is it's not an absolutely clear uh, glowing blade. It's this shaking, dancing, you know, not fully committed blade. <laughs> yeah, no, it works for me even more than coming out of Force Awakens when we were interpreting what the blade meant. See the crystal, I'm looking at the panel right now, just cracked in his hand. Uh, love that. He is cracked in two, and there it is. Yeah, and I love that if you if you get into all of the, you know, Jedi really having a relationship with their kyber crystal, this idea that that, that is his same crystal, he just, you know, smashed it and perverted it yeah it was uh, really uh powerful to me any other thoughts uh before we wrap up hey who doesn't like a good shirtless kylo with a lightsaber what a way to end it <laughs> uh so last question that i want on the main topic here is this uh comic introduced the possibility of lots of other eras of storytelling what are you most excited to see i um Look, I, I I think because we talk about it a lot and now a lot of it is ch- not changed, but just there's new wrinkles to it. A little bit more of the First Order caught adrift in the unknown regions and the horrors they felt there, the internal struggles. Uh, you know, it'd be, you know, who's the hero of that book? It might be Ray Sloan, might be Ray Sloan, uh, the good hearted villain, you know, uh, I, I think it could be. I'm just more interested in getting something, getting those answers now that we know we can tell the whole story because uh, with Palpatine being involved in some way. Yeah, no, I, I definitely want the, the what happened to Ray and the first order gang uh, before Snoke came along story. Eventually, I think for me, what really excited me because I am such a fan of the Jedi, uh, the picture that Luke's temple was active for a while and he had adult kind of fully fledged students who might be going off planet and having adventures that there's this window where you could tell a lot of stories about adventures that luke skywalker and his jedi had and Mm -hmm. that yep it would be young conflicted ben solo but it would still be uh some prime storytelling real estate with ben solo Uh, man i don't care if it's books uh i don't care if it's uh audio dramas uh animated series i would really love this new canon luke skywalker's Jedi students uh, traveling the galaxy and trying to make a difference. There you go. Throwing Lor Santec in the co-pilot seat and you got a show, man. <laughs> there we go. So that is our big look at the rise of Kylo Ren. 
A big look indeed, but a important comic series, I think, in all the era, uh, the, the new modern era. This is one of the most talked about ones for a good reason. So hope you all enjoyed that and pick it up yourself. If you listen to the whole show and you hadn't uh, took a, you know, taken even a look at the comics, well, I still think you can and get a lot out of it. Believe it or not, there's things we didn't even cover. So uh, from there, uh, Joseph, we're going to go to our Power of the Light Side segment. This is where we take something from our Patreon supporters and we have them share something positive, uh, a positive memory, a feeling about Star Wars. And today's comes from Harrison Moeller. Harrison writes, For as long as I can remember, the Lat gunship has captivated my imagination and childlike sense of wonder. First appearing in Attack of the Clones, the Lat, or L-A-A-T, gunship, the low-altitude assault transport, remains my favorite troop transport in the Star Wars franchise. The sound design, unique appearance, nose art, and array of weapons all come together to craft an iconic ship that is instantly recognizable as a Clone Wars era vehicle. There's something about seeing them rocket through the sky with their deep helicopter-esque rumble, then landing to have clone troopers emerge, guns ablazing, that just puts a smile on my face. And I can't forget to mention their sleek, and dare I say sexy cousin variant, the L-A-T-C design for carrying ATTEs into battle. Growing up with the prequels and the Clone Wars has solidified my love of this iconic ship and its cousin, and I would have to put the uh, lat in my top 10 favorite Star Wars vehicles. I first found you guys through the Schmodowns and through Alex of Star Wars Explained. I'm so glad to be a listener of your podcast now, listening to the show and reading uh, Ken's book. I've submitted Force Center as one of my favorite sources for non Lucasfilm Star Wars content. Thanks for all you do, and may the Force be with you always. Well, Harrison, we appreciate that. Appreciate the nice words. Certainly, the power of the light side has nothing to do with what we do here. It's your experience of Star Wars. But, Joseph, I think we always appreciate those nice words. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very kind of Harrison. And um, that's part of the reason that we like to do Power of the Light Side is because there is so much joy in this community. And it's great to see that those different things that crystallize uh, people's love of Star Wars. And this was a great one for Harrison. I I always uh, think of it as the Republic gunship. But yeah, the low altitude assault transport is absolutely one of my top vehicles. And I think Harrison uh, celebrates it very well here. Yeah, one of my favorite shots in all of Star Wars. All I say underlined is the uh, gunship in the Battle of uh, Geonosis kind of uh, moving up into position. And, and Lucas just has this great shot behind it with the, uh, the proton torpedoes kind of loading in. And that hum that uh, Harrison's yes. talking about. It's just pure playground uh, action figure goodness. And I do love it there. So, Harrison, that is truly good power of the light side edition. We're going to our audience questions here from Twitter. We go uh, Wayne Cody uh, Gallet says, what are the chances that we get an animated show with Han, Luke and Leia set between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens? Bring back the classic characters. Um, having someone voice them, uh, Joseph, this is something that I think a lot of people want. What are the realities of it happening? Could you see it happening? And, and I think I know the answer, but would you want it to happen? <laughs> yeah, I would love it to happen. That would be great. Uh, you know, if Mark Hamill wants to do it, uh, probably not Harrison Ford. Um, obviously, uh, many uh, great actors have uh, voiced Leia. I think there are a lot of cool uh, possibilities here. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because I feel like there is interest in uh, covering other eras. Um, so I would love to see it someday. And it'd be really interesting if it was, honestly, 20 years from now and we're and maybe we let some of this era uh take a break and breathe a little bit and then come back to it might be interesting 
a little bit of time would be needed for me to, even if it's a couple years, three years, so I can get farther away from the, this should have been the movie, which is impossible. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I'm all, I'm all about it. I, I think, I, I think at some point we might get something again, all of them are kind of dispersed across the galaxy, different stories. Luke's doing school run around Leia's in government. Uh, Han is, uh, you know, trying to figure out who he is. We see all that, but there's gotta be some stuff that can put them all together. And I think those stories will exist at some point. Uh, Justin on Twitter says this out of all your star Wars memorabilia, what's your favorite piece? This is tough to answer. I, I, I've been asked this even in private conversations far away from microphones. I don't know the answer sometimes. It just kind of changes. Uh, Joseph, where's, where does your heart go? Yeah, this is a really difficult question. This is, uh, like being asked, uh, you know, which of your, uh, hundred children are your favorite? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because it does change in, in, in terms of like, you know, maybe it's a new thing that grabs you or maybe it's a thing that's speaking to you in a different way. But for me, uh, I am lucky because I, I always have a, a go to answer. It is staring at me on my desk right now. And it is my uh, 1980 Kenner Yoda original action figure with a hard orange snake uh, variation. I've had this I've had this little guy my entire life and he's always meant the world to me when I was a child. And I would be taught uh, fire prevention and taught the like, don't go, anything is, is can be replaced, but you can't. So run out uh, if there's a fire. And at school, I'd always had in my mind, but I'm grabbing Yoda first. <laughs> Absolutely. Take Yoda. Uh, that's a great answer. Yeah, it is those same things. Of all the things I have and own, and I'm looking at a lot of things that mean a lot to me on my wall, uh, a lot of things that are expensive on my wall <laughs> or on my shelf. <laughs> It's the simple things. It's that book I have from 1983, the little magazine with the little uh, Yoda-like hand holding a uh, different blue lightsaber and, and the inside story of Star Wars. And that's where um, the the uh, phrase, the greatest saga ever told is found. And that stuck with me from seven years old on. That, I still have a copy of that, I, I believe. And I think someone sent me, uh, somewhere over the last couple of years, I acquired an actual, like, fresher, new copy that was preserved. Someone got for me and that that kind of is a great backup, but I have the original one with my name scribbled in it, Kenny, you know, <laughs> and, and like you and that Yoda, it's been there forever. And, it, and I, I'm connected to that because that's where the love began. Yeah. Great one, but there's a lot to choose from and it's tough to get them out of the boxes to Patreon. We go and Luke Denu. I'm saying that wrong. I'm sure. Uh, while I love the sequel trilogy, one of my biggest questions is where have all the classic Star Wars aliens gone? I definitely enjoy the new ones that have been added, but I'm trying to create some headcanons to what happened to the Twi'leks, the Rodians, and other classic aliens. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, this has been going uh, since Force Awakens, right, Joseph? This has been a, a fair question that I think sometimes I even see people inside Lucasfilm express some public opinions on. Yeah, you know, I would have liked a little more Twi'leks here and there and Rodians and whatnot. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. This is somebody who loves the sequel trilogy. This is definitely one of my like, yeah, love all the new aliens, love the Abinettos. But yeah, throw some Twi'leks, some Rodians, some Athorians. Uh, I would have loved that. In terms of headcanon, uh, I do think there could be some interesting stories told, particularly with Twi'leks who have this uh, back and forth history of being invaded and not wanting to get involved. And maybe maybe the Twi'leks are isolated for some reason, you know, maybe they're kind of cutting themselves off. Uh, another kind of slightly jokier headcanon is sometimes I wonder if there's a plague. It was like, is there a Rodian sickness? 
Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, the Rodians are, look, every time we, we emerge in the galaxy, some smuggler kills us. You know, we're done. <laughs> done. Yeah. This definitely strikes me as one of like those things where, yep, it was a production choice. Everybody got excited about new aliens uh, and for some reason didn't throw in a handful of legacy aliens. But there could be some awesome stories told. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there could be. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I, 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 you talk about production. Um, uh, yeah, it just seems like there might be like a new creature shop, a new bunch of, you know, production, uh, uh, designers and concept artists going, let's just have a wild fun time creating a bunch of new stuff. And, and that just kind of pulled them away for, for seven, eight and, and nine. It's just, it seems like it's just fun to introduce new things. Um, but yeah, I, I would take an extra roadie in here and there plague and all. Uh, <laughs> final uh well, question actually we have a bonus one today coming up here will uh, culbertson writes uh now that all nine episodes of the skywalker saga are complete do you think that lucasfilm would ever do a new round of novelizations of each film by having one writer be tasked with telling the whole skywalker saga from beginning to end you can get a more cohesive story that expands the mythology in ways that could not have been done as each film was being made separately so this is an interesting question uh, there's maybe some realities in it, some uh, maybe even a lack of desire, but uh, I, I like where Will's going, Joseph. Yeah, that's a really intriguing idea. There are those um, three novels uh, for younger readers uh, of the original trilogy uh, that I have, but I haven't uh, read yet. And I think there is a little bit of a, yeah, let's kind of smooth out and connect some canons and, and, and canon stuff. And sometimes when uh, weird little details pop up on Wikipedia, they often go back to that book those books, because I think it's, it was an effort to like, well, let's pull in. I, like, I think there's some discussion of why R2 doesn't use his rocket legs and, and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there has been, at least for the original trilogy, a little bit of playing with that. I think there's a really interesting idea. I, I feel like for the the publishing side, it might be a weird sort of like almost too definitive to say, uh, let's have, you know, like one author really choose to mm-hmm. kind of answer some of the mysteries by connecting the canon might be weird. So I think the thing that I'd be super excited for is uh, a history book, basically, mm-hmm. that, you know, it could be 3 who you know, or it could be a character we've never met that's, you know, thousands of years from now of like, I've, you know, interviewed all these people or found all of this information. And here is my interpretation. So you can have the fun of going through it all with a cohesive um, vision, but you can still have that fun that is Star Wars that is... Uh, the unreliable narrator where where you mm-hmm. can go like, Ooh, is that really the exact truth of why a Palpatine did that? Or is that this one character's interpretation looking back at history and piecing it all together? Love that idea. You've heard, you've heard me just uh, on air and off just talk about it. I love my game of Thrones history books. I love fire and blood, the George R. R. Martin uh, book part one's out to come eventually. Uh, I just love it. I just love the history of it. And I think that's the way you could retell a lot of this and connect it all. Give me, give me a book about, you know, the Battle of Endor. Give me a, give me a, a, a you know, a, a way to look back at the same stories from a different point of view, but fill in those blanks, answer those questions. Was Owen, uh, Owen Lars, Obi-Wan's brother? Well, no, but here's why you thought that. <laughs> you can play around with that. Um, I, I know, Will, I think early on, I kind of, uh, around 2015 era, I do remember some people asking, this is back in, you know, the earlier days of, uh, 
uh, Star Wars coming back and, and a lot more people on Twitter from Lucasfilm. But the idea I did see it brought uh, brought up about, hey, you know, there's some things, especially in the Return of the Jedi novel, as I just mentioned, the Owen, Owen Lars being Obi-Wan's brother. Whichever guy go back and retcon that or change it to sync up with some of the newer stuff. And, and the answer was just no, it, it exists. <laughs> and that's what it is. And the movies are the, the, the final say on canon. So I don't know if it'll happen, Will, but uh, I, I know and, and, and like where you're coming. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, so this is our final one here, uh, Joseph. This is uh, because the way we're recording, we have uh, some different tech capabilities uh, that we don't normally do. So, hey, whenever uh, you know you see think it's a dark side, look and find the light. Uh, there's something new. We actually have a call. We have a message system. Um, because uh, we use Anchor as our hosting site, Anchor does have the ability for uh, you all to leave messages. I use it on some other shows. Joseph has used it on other shows. We don't really use it on Force Center, um, but we can use it today. And our first one comes from our friend, TJ. Hey, what's going on, Joseph and Ken? This is TJ Collin. Just got finished with the reading of the novelization of The Rise of Skywalker. And I really wish that book had came out before the movie because I went and saw the movie back in December and I just came out with a bunch of questions and just... Man, I, I just didn't think it was all that great. But the book, it answered my questions. It put everything into, into perspective for me. And I just really, really enjoyed it. And um, I couldn't help but smile when I read the part about Wicked talking to his son. I was That was so awesome because I thought about Ken as he was talking. <laughs> but uh, also, I just want to say, you know, you guys just do such a great job. And with your podcast talking about Star Wars, um, it's 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 always just so positive and informative, and I just absolutely love it. Keep up the great work, guys. All right, TJ, thanks for the kind words. Calling yeah. on, yeah, yeah. You know what I love about that? Uh, the thought there is uh, TJ is being pretty honest with us, saying, you know what, I saw the movie, I didn't like it, and there's a lot of problems I had with it. And then he didn't allow his journey to end there, Joseph. He thought about it, and you might read the novel and still not like the movie. That's a possibility. And I don't think we here at Force Center uh, are tossing that opinion out at all. But I like that for him, for his journey, he continued to seek the true answer uh, for himself and he found it with the novel. Yeah, no, I think that is a, that's a definition of the light side. That's great to be able to say, you know, talking about Hennix in, uh, in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic book. They're like, I'm going to I'm going to see uh, the Rise of Skywalker as a puzzle. And uh, I didn't see how the pieces came together when I saw the film. I didn't feel it. But uh, maybe I'll try to crack open this uh, holocron that is the novelization. And oh, suddenly it, it, it's all working for me. That's really, really great. And it, that was just a joy uh, to hear TJ's journey. Yeah, to hear directly from TJ there. So, hey, uh, down the line, we might use that uh, just a little bit more. In fact, while we're recording remotely uh, from two different studios, we could use the feature. So uh, if you're on, you go to the Anchor app. You don't have to listen to the podcast on Anchor. You can listen to wherever you take your podcast, but you can go to the Anchor app, and it's real qu- uh, easy to leave a message with us. Well, Joseph, we've done a, a big, giant episode. We love doing those episodes. Uh, we've done this without looking into each other's eyes. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Four Center programming will remain as regular as we possibly can keep it during uh this uh time and we appreciate uh, you all coming along for the adventure uh, if you want to join the conversation uh, of today's episode have a question for future episodes you can find us on twitter at force center pod use the hashtag force center like our facebook page podcast available in a lot of places including iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google uh, Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. We have merch on tpublic.com slash user slash center and patreon.com slash center is where we uh, take your support. We appreciate your support. It's an investment in us. Um, new plans, new goals, and, and new things coming, Joseph. We're getting there. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, the the new theme music for Star Wars Ranked is uh, being worked away on. And, of course, there's the Discord where people can uh, find some friendly Star Wars community for some friendly chat that you can access through that. So if you're interested, go to patreon.com slash force center. Indeed, indeed. And, yeah, you're seeing a lot of podcasts these days go live, go live, go live. And, yep, uh, I don't see Force Center doing that regularly for all of our episodes, but some special episodes, Joseph, we're working on that so people can stay tuned for, so for, uh, for some announcements on that. We have our own things. Not a lot of live shows in person right now. So <laughs> uh, some of my appearances that I've been looking forward to, uh, understandably, are put on hold. But you can follow uh, me at Kednapsock. Go to Kednapsock.com for information on all the things I do. And for you, Joseph, they can uh, do so as well on your website. That is right. You can go to josephsgrimshot.com. Uh, if you're interested in checking out more podcasts, uh, on my podcast, Obsessed, I did an episode uh, with my wife about working from home, which is a thing that a lot of us have to be obsessed with uh, right now. So you can check that out on josephsgrimshot.com. And then you can uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram. is at josephsgrimshaw. Please do that. And thank you all for supporting us. And we appreciate having you in our audience during these times and all times. So for Kylo Ren and Ren and his cool mask and all the choices you can make, this was Force Center. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.